everyone! Welcome back! We're here to talk about another Witcher book. That's right. That would be Blood of Elves by Andrzej Sapkowski. Gum, gum, gum. Yes, and I am the Jaystrom, and I'm here with Ross. Hello, Ross. How's it going? It's going very well, Jason. Thank you for having me back. Absolutely. And we've both read this book, and we're ready to talk about it. We've been ready to talk about it, am I right? <laughs> yes, we definitely have. Scheduling snafus aside, it is time to talk Blood of Elves. Can I just say the hardest thing is not starting to read the next book as soon as you finish the last one? Yeah, very, very difficult. Yeah, I'm just like, oh, like I already have the book and I'm just sitting there looking at it. It's sitting there. I'm like, I just pick it up and just start reading it right now, but I can't. Yeah, for me, I like I get done with the book and I'm like, oh, I wanna, I wanna see what happens next, and I'm like, oh, instead, I'll just go back to the beginning and listen to it over again, which is not nearly as satisfying, but still, you know, very good. Yes, and can I just say that this book, Blood of Elves, has a one on the side of it, as as in book one of the Witcher series, and that's super confusing because. The actual book you should read first is The Last Wish, and then you should read Sword of Destiny. Maybe they should label those A and B, and then start this one with one, maybe? I don't know, but... I'm- yeah, I'm kind of shocked that that um, the series ended up being quite as popular as it was, because I really feel like if this was your jumping-off point you would be so confused as to what's going on and who these people were that um, I don't know if I would really enjoy it nearly as much. What do you think about that? Well, it'd be like, I all I kept thinking, because the book actually begins with quite a like introduction to the characters by a clever way of doing it, like, here are these people and here's how they got here, kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking how unfortunate it would be if we started with this book because we would in no way get the the bond between Siri and Geralt we would not yeah not at all right yeah we wouldn't know the backstory relationship between Geralt and Yennefer we wouldn't know about Neneke and Melitola already uh, we've already uh, learned th- some things about the trial of the grass and where Geralt is from and how he became the Witcher, you know, just little subtle hints here. Uh, There's just different things that we know because we read those two books, and I'm so glad we did, aren't you? (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, it was like I was telling you when we were texting before about um, how it it also changes the uh, kind of the way you feel about one of the most popular characters in the series, and that's Dan Dillion. Yes. Or you mean Dandelion? (laughs) No, Dandelion. We're back. What I was thinking is from now on, I'm just going to pronounce it Dand question mark, question mark, question mark, because I'm so (laughs) confused, Jason. I know. So we should just say this. See, I didn't know until you told me you had started the audio book and I was reading the book in text. So I don't know how it's being said, but you said, oh, my God. Or isn't that how it went? Like you were like, he's gone back. Or did I say it first? I don't even remember now. <laughs> but what what I imagine it being is you putting it on on YouTube and listening to it. And then you hear Dandelion him sit, pronounce it that way. And then all of a sudden Mozart's Requiem just like rises up from the background <laughs> and you immediately start weeping. 
Okay. Because re- no longer vindicated, I must say. You're in the doghouse now, Jason. <laughs> well, I remember what happened now. I read the first 20 pages of the book, and then that night I was like, hey, I'm going to put on the audiobook. That'll put me to sleep pretty fast. And then the narrator, who pronounced dandelion in a uh, uh, sort of destiny okay the last wish it's dandelion sort of destiny it's dandelion and then starting this book you know i was like i'll listen to this and he's like dandelion and i'm like whoa whoa time out what and I'm like, <laughs> so every time he again? said it were you were you just getting more and more angry i was just like what the hell man and uh Doing some a little bit of research, apparently, uh, Sword of Destiny was not translated till later on for Amer for uh, English translated into English. So what I'm thinking is uh, the off uh, of the Peter Kenny, who did a great job narrating these books, he did The Last Wish and then he did Blood of Elves and uh, The Time of Contempt. And I'm not sure if it's the fourth or the fifth book where he starts saying Dandelion. So then after that, then he recorded Sword of Destiny and pronounced it Dandelion. So it's hard, I, man. what I want to have to happen him. is I, I want him to just change the pronunciation during the middle of one of the other books. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like start out with Dandelion and then slowly transition over into to Dandelion, you know? Yeah, that would I want work somebody to say Dandelion and then him say Dandelion. And, I, and people go, <laughs> wait, 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 is this two different people? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Just Wait a minute. May, maybe it is because the <laughs> the dandelion in this book seems way different than the dandelion in the first two books, right? I mean, don't don't you think that that the the character comes off considerably different and not not necessarily as trustworthy and and uh, likable as he was in the last two books? Did you feel that way at all, or is that just me? Um, no, I didn't actually. I'd like for you to explain that. Well, it's just you don't get the relationship between and him between him and Geralt at all, really. Like you don't. Well, yeah. You and I are coming at it from the position of seeing him uh, dealing with uh, Torqua and dealing with all the other things that we've seen them together, and so it it kind of colors the relationship completely different whereas if this was your jumping off point, I don't know if it if it really the relationship really feels the same. Oh, to I me, anyway. Basically, if we hadn't read those two, uh, the first two books, and then read this one, uh, you know, by reading those two books, we know uh, Dandelion so well. And exactly. We've met Essie Davin, and there's even a reference to her in here that was very, it was very nice. And there's no way we would have even picked up on that little Easter egg there. There's, oh yeah, not at all. Uh, there's Full Test. We wouldn't know anything about Full Test had we not read The Last Wish. Uh, so there's different people mentioned that we already know who they are. And uh, in this, I would say at the very beginning of this book, should I just say that uh, when it opens up with Dandelion singing this ballad about Siri and Geralt, right? Mm-hmm. And he's singing it to a bunch of people under this uh, ancient tree. And it's a tree where people come, uh, I guess, where they have little gatherings and stuff like that. This tree that's been there forever and the druids protect it. And it's a place of peace. 
and everyone's listening to Dandelion's beautiful voice, and I can't wait to hear his voice. I'm sure it's quite beautiful. What's funny is they introduced <laughs> me as an apprentice, and I was like, oh, this is interesting, but we never really get to know the apprentice at all. He's just yeah, there. true, right? I didn't, I didn't really think about that. I was like, oh, this is hilarious. He's going to have like a little sidekick, but no. Okay. But uh, at that point, I thought... And uh, they're all they are all, they're all talking like what happens to the you know the lion cub of Sintra and he's like I just sing the songs I don't really explain what happens or you know and so everyone's curious and then they kind of get in uh, a shouting match over who is at the Battle of Sodden who uh, and the massacre of Sodden and who fought there and you know there's. There's humans, there's elves, there's uh, dwarves, there's halflings, there's gnomes, there's children playing. I thought a cool note was that all of the different species uh, are, uh, all the different races are separate, separated in their own little enclaves, except all the kids of the different races are all playing together. I thought that no, was, I didn't pick up on that. That's interesting. Yeah, all the children of like the elven children, the dwarf children, the human children, they're all playing together and they have no problem with each other. It, and it explains that they'll learn that later on. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They'll be taught that basically. And uh, I thought it was interesting that they're all kind of are they start this kind of uh, shouting match at each other of who about the Nilfgaardians. And that's what there's kind of this ominous thing going on in this whole book about when the Nilfgaardians will attack again. Because apparently, uh, Sintra, which we learned in Sword of Destiny, which Queen Calanthe, and that's where Ciri is from, was attacked by the Nilfgaardians. And they didn't want to stop there. They wanted to keep coming and conquering, but they were held off. And now they occupy Sintra. And everybody's feeling very uneasy about that and some people are very confident well we fought them off they're done and some people are like no 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 they're just biding their time till they try again which makes a lot of sense that they're going to try again yeah it's like this great impending doom that is going to uh rear its ugly head eventually it's kind of um you you get the imagery throughout the entire book of of the ravens all gathering towards this one point, and it's kind of like uh, the ravens are signifying this impending doom that's coming yeah, from Nilfgaard. in the air. And even the the book begins with a nightmare series having about when she was being uh, taken out of Sintra. Like these different knights, you know, one knight had her on his horse and he was riding, and then he gets hit with arrows. He falls off. She falls over. Then another knight picks her up and he's riding and then he gets killed. And then she's, you know, in, she's the horse is laying on her and the dead uh, knight is on her and she can't move. And she sees this black knight with uh, this giant black horse and he's got a winged helmet. And, I mean, just the imagery that I am imagining in my head, it's like pretty scary. And he's coming towards her and then she wakes up and. Uh, Geralt's like, oh, it was just a nightmare. It was nothing. But it- now, do you think that that was a direct recollection of what actually happened to her, or is that just kind of all of her fears, you know, totaled up and in, into this one dream? I think that it happened, and she, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how she got out of that because we actually learn later that that night failed at his job, and he was actually imprisoned by the. Uh, I w- I'll go so far as calling him the Emperor of Nilfgaard. 
uh, had King, pretty... King Jerk. That's what I want to call him. Yeah. What is know? his name? Like Enfir Emris or something like that. Yeah. It. Yeah. It, I, it, it was very long and confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, so I don't know how Siri got out of that, and even she asked Geralt that, and he goes, "It was just a dream, Siri. You know, you're fine." And she's like, "Oh, okay." Because you'll notice uh, there will be times where she goes into this voice and predicts something or says something. And later on, that exact dialogue is spoken by someone somewhere else. So it's like she's channeling uh, the future or something. She has this way to see into things. Even there's this uh, moment where she dreams about Geralt. And she's like, oh, I enjoy this dream. or I want to see what he's up to. But it's like really happening. They're like at that moment to Geralt, you know. And I thought that was pretty cool. We don't know the extent of Siri's abilities at all, but it's pretty crazy. The stuff that she can do and has no control over. Yeah. Well, it's also, did you listen to this, uh, this part of the book? Uh, yes. Did you, what did you think of, uh, Peter Kenny's like Siri, um, channeling some dark, horrible being voice it was scary as hell man it was scary i was like that that coming from a little girl i i, I got uh exorcist vibes yeah i was like hey uh Geralt, can you get her to a uh monastery or you know it's yeah we needed an old priest and a young priest yeah i need an old priest and a young priest yes we need to lock her in a tower or something which would probably have happened to her if anybody else was old of her but that's what this whole book is. Everyone is after Siri. It, and one thing that I think is funny is Geralt, as we know him now, he has denied destiny. And now he's embraced that destiny lies with Siri and that she's meant to be with him. And he takes her to Kaer Morin and he introduces her to the uh, the uh, other witchers there, right? But, yeah, I, I really loved all of that. This this whole part oh, yeah. where we kind of get a glimpse into what the life of a witcher is like, and and their, um, you know, their their base. It, it's, it was very. Uh, it was just kind of awesome to see that there are other witchers. That Geralt isn't necessarily alone in this world and what he's doing, but there's this kind of dysfunctional family that he's a part of. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. And you know what? In my mind, I couldn't help it, but I pictured Kaer Morin, the this dilapidated castle that was once attacked. Uh, and there was this great kind of... Uh, they tried to basically destroy all the witchers in one time. Because they're, what's cool is before chapters, there'll be this little uh, part that's like from an, from an old book or something that it was written that... Witchers are no good and they must be uh, killed and uh, someone must, you know, you must do away with them. And so apparently someone riled a bunch of people up and wizards and stuff and they showed up to care more and to wipe out all of the witchers. And that's pretty crazy. And I can't help but picture in my head Castle Grayskull. <laughs> when I, picture, I didn't think about that at the time, but that works very well. Like a skull kind of castle, kind of like crumbled and stuff. And I'm like, dude, yeah, that's awesome, man. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny. You you mentioned the whole point about, um, about him quoting other authors. Like he, he basically made up 
other literary works and quoted them at the beginning of each section, which is a very Stephen King thing to do. I mean, uh, you know, Stephen King does that in a lot of his books. And so I figured that's how we're going to get Stephen to start. Uh, you know, listening to these books or reading them in earnest is that we'll just say, look, man, it's laid out exactly the way you like it. Well, what's great is there's also a callback. There's a part later on that we'll get into later, but uh, Siri is reading a bunch of books and they, it kind of mentions the different books she's reading. And one of them is a book that in from the last wish that Geralt was reading. It was in the, I think it might've been the same one with, uh, with uh, Torqua, where remember he's kind of feeling sorry for himself that they're you know what am I going to do now? There aren't any monsters anymore, and Dandelion's like ah, you're just feeling sorry for yourself. Uh, she's reading that same book, which I think is pretty an awesome. I poem. didn't pick up on that. There's a lot of things that you uh, I'm impressed that you that you picked up on that that I did not see. Like I didn't really connect the idea that when she was prophesying what people were saying, that was later said you know by another character I, I i didn't actually get any of that or the fact that it was the same book yeah well there's one point where she says and i can't remember when it is it might been be when um yeah i think it's when tris who we'll talk about here in a second in her introduction she kind of says the the lion cub of Sintra must die and that's what those meetings of kings basically say so she's yeah. and i was like oh yeah yeah okay this makes sense now kind of a thing but uh before we go any further with care Morin, i thought it was really cool that uh dandelion he goes to a brothel you know as he does and yeah there's a guy there named riance or yeah let's just call him that <laughs> He he was pronounced Ryans in the thing. Yeah. But we don't we we aren't we are not uh, using Peter Kinney's um, pronunciations at all anymore. Yeah, he's, he's lost all not credibility. Trustworthy. <laughs> <laughs> Ryans he wants to have a word with Dandelion. And what's funny? He's very complimentary at first, but he seems very suspicious. And Dandelion's like, uh, you know, I don't know about this. You know, hey, do you mind? I've kind of got some business here. And he's like, no, 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 I really need to speak to you and stuff. And he realizes that this guy, he's, you know, he wants to know, please, what happened to the uh, Cirilla, the the princess of Sintra? I've, I must know. And he's like, uh, I'm sorry, I don't talk about my ballads. Uh, <laughs> and, yeah, I love that. And I think it's I, I love the idea that it's supposed to be this great secret that he's keeping, but he's like spreading it all over the place in these ballads. Oh, yeah, like, you should not be singing the song, uh, Dandelion. <laughs> and he's like, I'll just slip through here in the secret doorway, and there's actually a trap door at the bottom. I'll slip here through the side. But as he gets up and runs away, Riance hits him with, like, a paralyzation spell, and he just, like, collapses and tumbles down the stairs. And I thought that was like, oh, that Dandelion just uh, didn't quite get away there. I thought that was kind of funny, but also... It was funny. It was scary because you realize this guy is going to kill Dandelion and he's torturing him. Well, I know. I mean, we opened the book with the torture of, like, you know, one of my favorite characters. I I was a little bit disturbed. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you can't do that to Dandelion. And I will say this. you You were wondering if Dandelion was as likable or whatever from the other books. 
he didn't give up Geralt at all. He didn't say that anything. is very true. He's being tortured, and the guy's going to crush his hands where he won't be able to play the loot anymore, and he still doesn't say anything. But he even says that had Yennefer not come, which that's what happens next, is she comes out of nowhere and saves him, uh, he probably would have broke. Yeah, I could see, you know, you can't take away his loot playing skills, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, how's he going to woo women? Well, I just think he couldn't resist the pain anymore because it hurt really bad. Yeah. And uh, that was pretty badass, too, how uh, Yennefer rescues him. First, she sends in, like, I think it's like an, an illusion of herself, like that, you know, they're getting ready to strike her over the head when she walks in, but it just, like, a puff of smoke and, like, huh? And then she bursts in and she's, like, throwing some fireballs around and stuff. Or she, like, electrocutes a guy. Yeah, I loved her description afterwards about, you know, like, oh, man, I, like, fried his teeth out or whatever. Yeah. And I think she's like, I, that one should be alive. And Dandelion's like, uh, no, he's uh, dead. <laughs> Very much dead. <laughs> she's like, oh, I hit him a little too hard there. And I love that uh, Riance, he escapes through a portal. And as he leaps through, she sends a fireball through the portal. And you just hear him go, blah! <laughs> yeah. I thought that was great. So there's this scarred guy who's looking for Yennefer because he's pretty pissed about that that we'll find out later, but she has a, they go to a tavern and she basically says to Dandelion, don't sing about Siri anymore. And at this point, I have no idea if Siri and Dandelion have even met. And that's one thing that's hard to know in these books is how much time has passed between uh sort of destiny and this book, like how long since, uh, how long has it been? since Geralt and Ciri have reunited and now they're, they've gone to Kaer Morhen. Yeah. The timeline is a little bit confusing. Like how old do you think Ciri is at the beginning of this book? I, you know, I don't know until they actually say her age at one point, which I think is 13. <laughs> yeah. But, but at the beginning of it, you're not, you're not necessarily sure. Correct? Well, I think the nightmare at the beginning is them on the way to care more. And so she's probably like what, 10 or 11 or maybe it's been like two years or something. I don't know. Yeah. But I have no idea how long they are at care more. but I think they're there for like a year or something. Cause they're waiting. Well, it, it, it's definitely been long enough for uh, Yennefer to forgive Dandelion, uh, you know, for saying all those nasty, mean things about her when they were with the dwarves hunting the dragon. Yeah, and another thing is, uh, she says, uh, he's like, well, he says something about her hating him, and she's yeah. like, I don't hate you, Dandelion. I like Yeah, you. she said she actually quite likes him. That, I was shocked. And I, I was happy. But. And he wonders why, and she basically says, you were there for him. And I think it's the fact that, remember when she left Geralt and Istrid in that town, or Novigrad, and... And sent him the the bird, basically the Dear John bird, uh, that Dandelion was there for Geralt in his time of kind of like missing her and stuff. Maybe that's what it is. And there's even a point in Sword of Destiny where she's like, you must go to Sintra. And he's like, how do you know about that? And she says, I know everything about you. I have a feeling she po she peeks in on him from time to time. And we, yeah, do you think that she reads his mind or 
I have a chance she just of, knows of looking in on him. Who knows if they have crystal balls or what? I don't know, but uh, it's just like, you know, they the way that they, they say, write a letter to Yennefer, she will receive it. And it's just like, there must be some kind of weird magic way you get letters. <laughs> yeah, I just have to say that is a very unhealthy way to uh, to run your relationship with someone. Just peek in on them from time to time? Yeah, pe- peek in on their, their thoughts and everything I'm like that. I'm watching I, I... you. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, so cut back to Kara Morn, and we get introduced to Triss Marigold, who I thought was quite delightful, wasn't she? And she was delightful. It was it, I I, I let, loved the um, the the description of kind of how she the, the history between her and Geralt, like like what they um, Basically, they had a relationship and what that relationship was based on, you know, about her wanting to have feelings again and everything. That was really very interesting. The part that I was kind of like, you know, it's funny because as you read uh, these books, every once in a while there's something where you're like, hmm, uh, okay. And one of them is that she kind of, even though Yennefer and Geralt seemed miserable together, they also seemed kind of happy together like they belong together and they stuck it out even though they fought a lot and didn't get along and she kind of wanted that and when Yennefer and Geralt kind of split up she I mean it basically says she cast a spell on him a love spell on him on Geralt and then they kind of fooled around and when he felt very bad and guilty about fooling around with her she kind of thrived on that that he felt kind of guilty about it and i was like hey, that's a little icky but <laughs> it's, it's very icky like it was it was uh I, I mean i guess she was so uh used to not having any feelings about anything that even yeah. taking on his negative feelings was enough for her and it's um, they kind of mentions that when uh Geralt touches her she feels kind of this kind of exciting vibration feeling like this kind of and one of the other uh witchers which one is the one that she can't stand is it lambert he i think calls, so it is yeah he calls her marigold and she's like my name is tris at one point he touches her and she's like very uncomfortable by the vibration she feels from him <laughs> yeah but uh she obviously has feelings for girl and how many times does this girl say tris please <laughs> yeah well she's basically wanting to like you know hop in bed with him from the minute she gets there and it, yeah. it, it's this thing that she she really wants the entire time because she she loves uh it's like i said before girl like the people who are attracted to him are incredibly attracted to him it's just <laughs> but he's also uh has a way of reviling other people right but she is definitely into some Geralt, you know yeah there's a part where she's laying in bed like, why won't he come to me? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. I love the part where she arrives and she's on the path. They call it the killer, that uh, that trail that they run on when they're being trained. And she sees a witcher run by and it's kind of like, oh, well, it was like a blur. And she kind of goes around and she waits for the witcher to come by again and realizes it's a little girl. And she's like, whoa. And then Siri kind of like tumbles over and falls and she's like, goes to check on her and kind of freaks Siri out at first. But 
she sees this like this disheveled girl with her hair looks like it's been cut with a knife and her leather outfit looks terrible the way it's sewn together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because there's these men taking care of Siri and they have no idea how to really do that except just train her like they do every other boy who's going to become a witcher. Well, it just reminds me of the way my children look when I'm the one that gets them ready compared to <laughs> when my wife gets them ready. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, I, I actually thought like, of that. There was one time where, you know, once my wife went back to work and I was taking care of uh, Emma and she was a baby, you know, it's like six weeks. Heather was home after giving birth and she went back to work. So I'm you know, taking care of our baby. And one time. I put her in like a polka dot shirt and striped pants. And she would not <laughs> let me forget that. Yeah. It was like, yeah, I do that all the time that I cause. And when I thought of that, like Siri in this horrible, like leather out jerkin thing, that's like all crooked and sewn badly. And she's just like, Oh my God, what is this child wearing? I thought it was pretty hilarious. Yeah, me too. It's it's my classic line that I say to my wife, which is uh, matching socks are arbitrary and stupid. You know, <laughs> it's, like, hey, it's, it's basically the same attitude. Yeah, as long as they're clean socks, that's all that matters, you know. Exactly. <laughs> but it's funny because when uh, Tris sees Geralt, he's like, she's like, would you uh, accompany me to the stable to put up her horse? And she's like, me like, like sidles up to him and grabs him. And he's like. Triss of Vesemir is like right around the corner. <laughs> and he's like, hello. And she's like, she even says a line to Vesemir, like, get your hand off my bottom, basically. And he's like, oh, he, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, you're not young like you once were. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What is he saying? Here? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. He's handsy. He's uh, Uncle Vesemir's a little some, handsy. Some handsy old man. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> I thought that was funny. So there's Eskel. He's like, uh, he's the one who's scarred. There's Lambert. He's like the, uh, he's younger than Vesemir, but he's the one that always calls Triss Marigold. And yeah, then, he's the sassy one. Yeah. And then there's Cohen. He's like the young guy who plays like, uh, games with Siri and stuff. And I thought that was pretty cool. Kind of describing the way they got on there at Castle Grayskull. And, uh, I love the bit well where... <laughs> Her uh, Cohen, I think it's Cohen and uh, Siri. This is later on, but they're playing the game where they're trying to slap each other's hands. Because I used to play that with my dad, and it used to drive me oh nuts. all the time. Yeah, because he used to slap me, the shit out of my hand. It's <laughs> <was> like damn it! <laughs> but I could just see that it was funny because it said that n neither uh, Siri nor Cohen was fast enough to hit either. Uh, to hit each other and Tris didn't understand why they played, but they seemed to be having a good time, but I thought that was good. And, uh, I love all of the training bits. Can I just say that? Like, oh yeah, definitely. I love the way Subkovsky writes it where he's like, all right, again, no pirouette. What are you doing? And he's kind of like, you're, it's not describing what series doing. It's just telling you what, Vesemir or Lambert are yelling at her or even yeah it's not, you're, you're getting the story through their reaction of what she's doing and and it, it, he did that kind of a lot in, in this book yes he uh, did and I liked it 
Oh, I liked it a lot, too. I thought it was great because it, it, it very rapidly was able to tell the story without having to hear every single detail of what she was doing. Right. And it's not like I missed anything from it. Yeah, yeah, not at all. And uh, I, I liked it because I could have imagined it. And there's this great bit where Tris, you know, she's like, this girl needs more than you guys are giving her. I can see that you're giving her your magic mushrooms and all of your witcher food, but you need to, like, chill out on that. And she goes to the room with Siri and she, like, undresses her. She's like, oh, my God. And she's, like, covered in bruises, like, all over her body. And she's getting angry. Like these stupid witchers have no idea what they're doing with this little girl. And look, she's all beat up and bruised. And it's funny. She's like, why are your ribs bruised? She's like, oh, that was when I missed. And I got pounded by the, uh, by the windmill. Yeah. By the windmill. That was the windmill. And she's getting angrier. And she's like, well, is there anything else you want to tell me? And she's like, oh, can I whisper it to you? She's like, sure. And oh, I thought it was cute and kind of sad that the first thing Siri said, you know, when she finds out she's magic and she's a magician or whatever, she's like, can you change me into a boy? <laughs> yeah, because she just doesn't want to have to deal with <laughs> everything that's going to happen to her soon. Yeah. And uh, she explains that, you know, she's basically gotten her period and she gets really mad and goes downstairs and embarrasses all the witchers by explaining to them and they're like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I loved how, like, just uh, oblivious they were and how yeah. stupid they were at the whole thing. And it, and she even says something about, like, and what is with this outfit she's in? And Lambert, he kind of makes a face because, you know, that he's the one who made it. He's the one that made it. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And I just love the way Peter Kenny also narrates uh, Siri when I was listening to this part, like, when she's talking about her sword, you know, it came from the heavens, you know, it fell to the earth and uh, Geralt told me that and he doesn't lie. And Triss is like, no, he certainly doesn't. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Siri, whenever she wears a dress, they know there will be no training for that day or week or so because, you know, she's dealing with something. And I got the feeling here that maybe the stuff they'd been giving her, like the mushrooms had kind of, made her body develop faster than it should be. Did you get that too? Maybe. Yeah. Well, it was definitely having some sort of physiological effect on her, her body type. I know that like she was, that was one of the things that, um, Tris was concerned about. She was saying, look, you can give them their, the mushrooms and everything like that, but you can't do it to a point to where she loses all of her femininity because she's going to really resent you later on. Right. And uh, I think Tris is very concerned with whatever they do, you know, the trial of grasses and stuff like it must not you must not erase this child's emotions because she's really worried about that. And she discovers, you know, when she's first uh, finds Siri and they ride back to Kaer Morin, she has this weird kind of moment where she channels that voice. And it talks about Triss, the 14th one, and you should be dead and all this stuff. And she's like, okay, there's something a little off with this. <laughs> yeah. And she kind of confronts them about it. Like, I know why you brought me here. It's because this child is a source. And they're like, no, 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 no. You know, she's got something going on with her, but she's not a source. And she kind of explains how a source doesn't have control of their abilities. And, you know, we already know from the first book 
that her mother, Pavetta, she was a source and had no control over her powers. So I think that's really cool. And again, like if you were just reading Blood of Elves, you wouldn't know any of that stuff, right? <laughs> I just I really have to reiterate how much when we read uh, The Last Wish and we we got that whole scene in Sintra with Dooney and everybody. I really had no idea when I was reading that how much of that little story was going to affect everything in the entire book or in the entire yeah. series. It's really cool, isn't it? It is, and it also leads me to wonder if, like the uh, the stories with um, oh the the beast character, what was his name again? Oh, oh, you mean in the Last Wish? Yeah, if if those types of stories are going to have huge impact on the story as well, just we don't we haven't heard anything about I it. I wondered yet. that because you know in the Bounds of Reason, uh, we're introduced to Yarp and Zigrin, and then he shows up here, and I thought that was really cool. So maybe we'll be maybe Geralt will be running into some characters we've already been introduced like how cool would it be if Torqua showed up again well that's what I was just gonna say like that's what I mean everybody's hoping right I because would, it seemed like they were buddies at one point he's gotta make a cameo somewhere else yeah I totally want doo-doo to show up again <laughs> yeah. I, I would love the idea of you know when we get the big final <laughs> battle at the end of doo-doo and Torqua and you know uh, Beanpole all running down the hill together like, charging yes, the other army I remember these guys <laughs> yeah exactly they were in the real book one of the Witcher books. Uh, they really need to do something to fix that, by the way. <laughs> they, do. they definitely do. They definitely do. But uh, basically, Triss gets, you know, she's angry at them and stuff like that. But it, this is a different moment where she goes to bed. And like we were saying, she was like, I want Geralt to come to me. And she's aroused mm-hmm. and stuff. And I remember reading the book and I was like, oh, she wants her some Garand right here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely. But the only person he's really interested in right now is Siri. And that means taking care of her. He's not really thinking about like, hey, let me have a little, uh, you know, affair with Triss right now. He's like has no interest in her at this point at all you know well and it, it just goes to show you how uh much of a distance there is between him and yennefer if the first person that he thinks to call is this person who's carrying a torch for him and he knows that he's going to have to deal with this constantly i mean he, yeah he knows that she has feelings for him and he's still willing to put up with that and kind of brushing her aside uh every time she makes an advance at him just because he doesn't want to have to deal with yennefer yeah i think she even says I was very curious as to why I was the sorcerer that you needed. And he was like, why? Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <He was> like, <laughs> Whatever are you talking on. about? Come on, Geralt. Come on, dude. Oh, you know, dude, come on. You're afraid of Yennefer. That's what's going on. Yeah, I would be too. He's afraid of one person on this planet, and that's uh, Yennefer. Uh, another thing is uh, they get in kind of an argument. They're having a, you know, everything's kind of settled in. She's after this talk about the period and all that. She says, I will stay here until the seasons change. And Geralt says, we're going to send her to uh, Melitola with Neneke. And I was like, hey, Neneke. Hey, we know them. Yeah. He's going to send her there to learn about the world. And she's like, good, because I think whatever she does, whatever, if she's a witch or whatever, she needs to have an education. She needs to know about the world and carry herself as a regular human. And he's like, I agree. So that's their agreement. And, uh, one night they, uh, they're all sitting there and, um, 
one of the witchers, I don't remember which one, maybe it's the young one, Cohen, talking about like, oh, if there is like a skirmish or whatever and a war breaks out, I'll be able to show up there and any kind of monsters on the battlefield that show up to eat remains of humans, I'll be able to be paid some coin to get rid of those. And she's just kind of disgusted by how he's talking about how he's going to make some money doing this. And she's... uh, Basically, she's having a problem with the way witchers live their lives where they're neutral and they stay out of it. And uh, they're like, well, we protect children from these monsters. She's like, yeah, you protect one or two children from a monster after a battle, but you did nothing to save the thousands of children that you could have had you gotten involved in the fight. And she talks about the Battle of Sodden and how she was there. And even earlier... That was rough. I forgot to say this. When they first said Triss Marigold, I was like, wait a second. And I went and got the book, the Sword of Destiny. I looked and I was like, she's one of the 14. And if I would have just read a few lines further, I'd be like, oh, okay. They acknowledge that here. Okay. Because I was confused. How is she alive? Oh, this is in the past. But no, Jason, just keep reading. (laughs) You don't have to go down a rabbit hole after every Uh page you read, Jason. Exactly. And so... She uh, explains that it's because they thought she was dead. In this battle, she was, all of her hair was basically blown off her head. She was blinded. She was burnt badly. Uh, Her friend, who was another sorcerer, uh, was missing their limbs after this blast. I don't know what it was, a fireball or what, but the Nilf Guardians had the highest magic users there and it was a bloody battle and even Yennefer she was blinded so she couldn't even see that Triss was still alive so by the lack of the red hair maybe they found red hair on the battlefield they're like oh this is Triss Marigold she's no longer alive and she was carted away where they used magic and stuff to heal her over time and she says even now I will never wear a plunging neckline again for as long as I live and it just sounded pretty brutal you know? oh it sounded horrible I mean the, the the way that the the use of magic is described on other magic users is way more terrifying than it than it ever has shown up before because usually we hear like oh uh, the guy's teeth were fried out or whatever yeah and that's that's awful but when we hear it within the context of like hey they're standing on top of this hill basically just getting blasted by magic and they're trying to do the same thing as well it was uh it was kind of shocking how horrible it actually seemed to be yeah, and she even describes that she was so nervous and she'd thrown up that she couldn't remember any spells except for one spell to escape, to get out of there. But she didn't do that. And uh, so that's why she was one of the 14th that was supposedly died is because they assumed she was, but because she didn't look like herself anymore. She was unidentifiable, which is really scary. Um, and another thing, she's like, you know, how much someone like Geralt, if he would have been on that battlefield helping, just imagine, you know, they did hold off the Nilfgaard, but imagine if he was there helping. And at one point, Siri says, I'll fight with you. I have my sword and I'll kill as many of those Nilfgaardians. And Geralt's like, Siri, enough. Oh, no, you won't. <laughs> He's like, until you learn uh, what your real lessons are and what you're supposed to be doing, you will not be able to wield that sword anymore. And she's like, Oh yes, I will. And she like storms away. And it's, it's kind of sad and cute at the same time when 
you know, he yells at Triss and she's talks about like, I don't think it was a trial of grasses that took away your emotions. I think you just wanted to have no emotions that it's all him. You know, it wasn't any kind of process he went through as a witcher and he gets emotional. He tells her to shut up basically, but then he apologizes like immediately, which I thought, yeah, he, he, he kind of turns on uh, everything he said very, very quickly. He's like, I'm sorry. You know, and they, here's go, your sword back. They go out uh, to find Siri and she's like, uh, isn't she like in a tree or something? Or she's standing on a branch and she's got her sword. She's like, no one's taking my sword away from me. <laughs> yeah. And I love the descriptions of Siri. She's running and doing somersaults over things and she's jabbing at bushes with her sword and stuff. She's just like, uh, all the stuff with her, with the, uh, the pendulum and working out. And it's funny because after she yells at, uh, Vesemir or, uh, about her, you know, she's got the, a female body with womanly assets. There's a part where he's like, okay, watch that and watch your womanly assets. And Siri goes, my what? And he goes, uh, <laughs> never mind. And I thought that was hilarious. You know, watch yeah, that womanly was definitely assets funny. there. Oh, yeah, I, I loved how they they keep he kept using the word uh, impetus, like when, when they were fighting. D- did you pick up on that by any chance? Instead of like momentum or whatever, he, they, they were talking about how you need to gain more impetus. Yes, and I like when she did something right. She would say like, "Praise me, Geralt," and he's like, "Good job, Siri." <laughs> yeah. Praise me. What are you doing? Just <laughs> standing there. So she's become a badass little fighter, right? Yeah, and definitely. After that scene, they uh, the season has changed, or they're going to go on. And I got to say, the next chapter is I've had road trips like Tris in this, and it's pretty. Oh bad. man! I remember at one time when uh, when we lived in California, we were going to drive up to Yosemite National Park. I've never been more sick in my life than that road trip, and so I was really feeling for Siri. I mean, Tris here. Yeah, there's Tris nothing had... worse than being sick on vacation. Yeah, because Tris had some bad dysentery or something. Yeah, did they ever explain what the cause of it was? No, and part of me wondered. I forgot about the whole part where uh, they give siri this drink it's like white seagull or something and she drinks it and she goes into a trance and uh tris enters her trance and then finds out things one of the things she says i remember is it is a rose the rose of sherry wed i pricked it myself it is nothing it's only blood the blood of elves that happens to siri later on when she's with Geralt. remember yeah and then she says the lion cub must the lion cub must die reasons of state. And we find that out later with the Kings gathering. So she's like predicting the future here. And, uh, I don't want to forget this, uh, one part, which is slipping out of my brain. Oh, I remember what it was. I just wanted to say this that I thought was very interesting. There's a part when their, uh, dandelion is at the tree and they're, they talk a lot about these old elven prophecies. Do you know what I'm talking about? Vaguely. That, I'm not quite remembering what you're talking about. The time of contempt will come when the tree will lose its leaves, the bud will wither, the fruit will rot, the seed turn bitter, and the river valleys will run with ice instead of water. The white chill will come, and after it, the white light, and the world will perish beneath blizzards. Did that remind you of a certain something? I mean, 
Geralt's hair, maybe. <laughs> like, what do you what are you getting at? Winter is coming. Oh well, yeah. I was going to make that like that same <laughs> reference too, but I wasn't. I wasn't sure if that was the road you were going down. I didn't know if we wanted to reference that whole popular. Uh, yes, it, it definitely has the same sense of impending doom that's coming. Up. Yeah, I, I, I definitely say this, picked this up on that. This book was written before uh, the first book in the Game of Thrones. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I know but that I, series. Uh, Here's what yeah, I can imagine, yeah. you know, J.R.R. Tolkien, you know, he's like the father of this kind of writing, I assume. I'm sure there's been all sorts of fantasy novels and stuff, right? Yes. They probably all have some kind of prophecy of some kind of great thing that's going to happen. They, you know, all these type of stories have uh, what you call a chosen one, this chosen one <laughs> yes. of destiny. So it's yeah, there's a new. lot of formula in these. I mean, what you basically have to set the stakes as high as possible in these books because you start out in the first book and there's like one bad guy that you have to beat and he's generally pretty easy to deal with. And then as the story goes along, you just realize that he's kind of the tip of the spear for this other giant horrible thing that's impending in the background. Right. That's a pretty common trope in a lot of these books. There's but for some reason, objects. I still keep coming back to them because I, well, I like it, you know? The thing that makes this The Witcher special is the characters. I mean, I think they're fantastic, and I love the way they relate to each other. And the book didn't give me the one thing I was looking forward to, and I was like, oh, I guess I have to wait for another book. And that is Dandelion and, and Siri meeting. <laughs> I know, yeah. It didn't give us that. And I'm like, okay, hopefully in the next book. But we did get some great stuff. Like, I love Siri with Geralt. I love Siri with Triss. I love Siri with Yarp and Zigrin. And we'll oh, get yeah, that now great. because uh, Triss is not feeling well. And they run into this uh, group of men who've been attacked by the Scoyatel, this band of, I don't know, terrorist elves. <laughs> yeah, elves, gorilla fighters. Gorilla fighters who also have some halflings and dwarves that fight with them, too. And they're attacking caravans and stuff. And they've even kind of talked about that at the beginning of the book. You know, there's these rumors that Nilfgaardians have put these elves up to the task of terrorizing humans, right? Uh -huh. And they're and they're doing it, and they're creating unrest. And the worst part is they're making people distrust other dwarves and elves who have nothing to do with it. So they're creating this distrust among the different uh, races, which is terrible. And uh, it's just a big mess, you know. Well, it also sounds like it's pretty much a youth movement within the elf community. Yeah, we learned that uh, the the younger elves were inspired to fight. And with the older elder elves are like, you know, we'll just wait them out. You know, we'll be up here in the hills and stuff. And... Uh, Yarp and Zigrin has this great line about how, but they no one realized that humans, you know, they breed like rabbits. <laughs> you know, they're not going anywhere. And it's so funny. He's like, all you guys do is basically screw. And he's like, why is your why is your face so red? Why, why are your cheeks so rosy? Why aren't you saying anything? And he, he's like incredibly embarrassed. <laughs> yeah. And I love that uh, Geralt's like, Yarpin, you know, knock it off. <laughs> Be careful what you say to the child. 
I thought that was so. Cool. Where was it that we first saw Yarpin? Because that that uh, had me a little bit confused. Yarpin Zigrin was one of the bands of dwarves who were looking for the Green Dragon in Bounds of Reason. When they find the Golden Dragon, they want to fight them. But the, the way that he deals with Siri, like th- that relation that they have, re- relationship that they have, is uh, adorable. Yeah, it is, and that he even says tells Geralt that at one time he ran into Yennefer in a town and he ran away quickly and she said if she ever finds him again he'll be growing feathers out of his ass and and Siri giggles at that and (laughs) and so basically she hasn't forgiven Yarpin at all yeah it's funny is because when you know Geralt shows up. He's like, was that be the Witcher Geralt of Rivia? And he's like, hey, Yarpin Zigran. Hey, what's up, buddy? And he's like, I've got a sick woman here. And, you know, they're helping. And he's, I like the bit where he's concocting some medicine for her. Some He's whipping up some emodium for her. <laughs> yeah. Some homemade emodium. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's funny because uh, they talk to, I believe his name is Wink. Or Venk, maybe you pronounce it Venk. He's the guy leading them. And uh, Yarpin is there with his dwarf buddies and uh, some humans. And they are transporting some goods to deliver to a king. And uh, Geralt's like, what is this? And he's like, oh, don't worry about it, you know. And at first, I don't they say it's like salted fish? Salt fish, yeah. Yeah, and then later Yarpin kind of tells, like, it's golden stuff to pay for a war. And he's like, oh, okay. But, you know, we're going to find out that that's not exactly what it is. But uh, Vink says, yeah, it'll be great to have a witcher here. If we're attacked by the Squid Tell, it'd be great to have somebody here to help us fight. And Geralt's like, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not drawing my sword to get involved in any of this. I st- I'm staying neutral. And he's like, oh, okay. He's like, I will help you cook. I will help you, you know, get water and feed the horses and that kind of thing. But I'm not going to do that. And he's like, very well. So later on, uh, Geralt and Yarpin are talking and they get into a big argument. Like he's getting pissed that basically Geralt doesn't want to get involved in any war or a fight. And he basically kicks him off the wagon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And well, so yet like, again, we, we get we get the whole idea that that there are people that are very close to Geralt that he is just unwilling to help because they're they've decided to take up in this battle. And, you know, just kind of the way that Tris Marigold earlier was upset about it. Nobody likes the fact that there is this group of these elite fighters who are unwilling to um, throw in on on one side or the other. Right. And uh, what's interesting is when Siri hears this, remember what she said earlier back at Kaer Morin is that what else is she learning to fight for but to kill Nilfgaardians? Or Nilfgaardians, She wants yeah. to defend people from something. She's seen something pretty horrific. She saw the entire place where she lived and her family uh, massacred. And she wants revenge. I mean, she's having those kind of thoughts in her head. And, you know, Geralt's like, no, that's not what witchers do. We're not going to do that. And it's just like in her head, she's like, oh, the hell it's not. Mm-hmm. Because she's been wronged greatly. And Geralt hasn't really. But what Geralt's going to learn in this entire book is that uh, you may not want to get involved. But much like <laughs> yeah, good destiny, luck with that. It may be your destiny to get involved because uh, there's no way you're staying out of this fight. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's little bits here. I really like the bit where uh, Siri, it kind of talked about when Geralt and Siri would take care of Triss and they would have to bathe her. Siri didn't like the way Triss would get all handsy with Geralt and cuddle up to him. <laughs> yeah. And she would just kind of like roll her eyes. She's like, oh, take me, Geralt. And he's like, oh, Triss, please. <laughs> You've got dysentery. Yeah, and uh, he's like, Tris, please. He's like, Siri, step out a moment. And she's like, why? And he's like, just do it. So uh-huh. she steps out, and Yarpin is standing there, and she's like, it's not polite to eavesdrop. And he's like, oh, I wasn't eavesdropping, but I did hear everything. And he goes, that should teach you <laughs> yeah. a lesson. Don't spend so much time basically pining for someone who has no interest in you. I love the part in this story where uh, where Siri and Yarpin are, are both riding on the cart together, and, and he's like, you know, uh, I can't even, you know, pee off the back of the wagon. And she's <laughs> like, well, maybe you didn't drink as much beer, you wouldn't have to pee off the back of the wagon. Yeah, I think she goes, stump! And he goes, call me a stump, will you? She's like, no, stop! <laughs> like, they're about to run over a tree stump. I thought that was a great bit of comedy there. It was. And she's like, see, if if I wasn't here, you would have been peeing off the side and never would have seen that. And it's had a total wreck there. So it's good. Yeah. That I'm well, I, I like this this story. Uh, and there's another story. You're not story, but part of the story. Because this book do, uh, did not feel as light as the first book did. I mean, I, I know I said that about, um, about the second book, about Sword of Destiny, that it didn't feel nearly as light as The Last Wish. And we really don't get a lot of the... Um, the the moments of levity that we had in the first book uh but in this one section with with uh siri and yarpin their their whole dialogue together it really did feel kind of fun yeah you know what i would say more than the rest of the book this chapter felt like it could have been a short story in one of those books of short stories it did definitely and uh i think at one point these uh soldiers show up and they want to know what they're carrying. And Vank kind of says that, you know, we're carrying these for the king. You know, I've got a, a seal here. I've got a ring that proves who I am. And I love there's this. He's like, well, we want to make sure you're not. First of all, they want to make sure there's not any human trafficking going on. So they want to check all the wagons. And he's like, fine, go ahead. And a guy peeks in and he sees Tris there. And then Tris does some kind of sign in the air and she disappears. And he's like, uh, nothing in here. He's just kind of like weirded out by it. Well, don't, don't, I thought that she kind of basically did the, these are not the droids you've been looking for move. (laughs) (laughs) I just picture it's her fading out of existence. Like, Oh, I didn't, I didn't picture it that way. I guess I I read it wrong. I'm so, uh, you know, too much star Wars, I I guess. I like that though. Like nobody here. And she just kind of waves her and he's like, Maybe it was she didn't really turn invisible, but he made it made him not see anything or something. Exactly, that's kind of what I was thinking. The, the, the thing is, is in this section we do get our first um, glimpse of the Peter Kinney uh, stupid jerks voice, you know, that we talked about in the last book. <laughs> yeah. We we get that here, which is which is nice. It's a it's a, a wonderful friend to visit, to have come and visit. Yeah, it is, and I love all the other. There's Regan and. Uh, what is his name? Polly. Polly Dalbert. Polly Dalbert and Regan Dalbert. And then there's the other guys. And uh, 
I think it's funny, Geralt's like, there were six of you before, and he goes, oh, so-and-so, he got married off, he's got a family now, and there's like, he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I love how they were talking about how six is like the perfect number, because it like, you know, you can all eat a side of beef together and drink a keg, but, you know, five is not enough, and yeah, it was cool. Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of talk about the Scoia'tael and stuff, and Yarpin kind of has a talk with Siri about it, and he tells her about how they're a bunch of fools thinking that they could cause any kind of difference with their fighting the humans, but all they did is they got them all killed, you know, and it was just his people, the dwarves, thought it would be better to blend in and live with them in peace and try to get along than just fighting this fight that was unwinnable and all being wiped out, you know. So what he said yeah. makes a lot of sense. Well, he, he and he also this is the section where we start to hear, you know, Siri. She she's wondering what neutrality means, and and from Yarpin's point of view, it means indifference, which is not at all what Geralt thinks. But it's it, it's uh, you know we we get that whole point about um, you know to be neutral is to be indifferent. Yeah, it means you don't care, but that's not really what it means. It just means. Not getting involved because you don't think it's your fight, I guess, right? Or the the idea. Well, we, when we we hear about it later, is the idea that you know taking a side has unintended consequences that you weren't right. necessarily thinking of when you made your decision to take a side. And we know Geralt has a huge thing with uh, lesser evils. <laughs> yeah. Well, he, and he also has a. He's kind of a. Even though he's basically the Orkin man. He is also um, a conservationist, which is kind of weird. But, uh, you know, he doesn't want to eradicate things just for the sake of eradicating them. Right. And there's a great part where Siri rides off to scout ahead. And I'm, I was never clear. Is she doing that because she's been told to do it or is she just doing it? I think she did it because she was irritated by the whole neutrality thing. Like, she's upset with Geralt, so she just kind of rides off. At least that's the vibe that I got from it. She's kind of like, Siri, do this. Don't do that. You know, and I think it's like, pa, pa, pa. And then Yarpin's like, you're riding too fast. And she's like, ugh. She's like getting just sick of being told what to do. And she rides ahead. And that's when she sees some elves kind of quietly screwing scurrying <laughs> Scru- quietly screwing <laughs> sorry <laughs> yeah they're totally different book. walking through the uh-huh. forest and uh Geralt comes up behind her and he says we won't say anything about this to Yarpin and them and she's like what she's kind of disgusted by that and even right before he showed up she's like neutral Curse. oh yeah she totally resents uh, Geralt in this uh this part of the book she's like a witcher should def- help people should defend them and she's basically she's making her own plans once she's her own witcher she's going to do things her way i think when uh Geralt shows up and he says you know we won't say anything she's like why they could attack him she, he's like that's not going to happen i'll tell you why they're here and takes her to this old elven palace uh, that sounds really cool basically it, it explains that when the elves they abandoned their palaces and they destroyed some of them and some they didn't have a chance to. Well, I think it's pretty cool. Don't they uh, describe Oxenfurt as a place that elves didn't destroy? They just abandoned. So when the people yeah. showed up, they're like, hey, we got a good kind of uh, beginning here. Let's build on to this. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, I love the idea when she when he says um, she's like, "What is it? A castle?" And he's like, "No, it's a palace. Elves didn't build castles." Like it just goes to show you the elegance of their culture. Yes. Yeah. She sees this picture of a beautiful woman, or it's some kind. Is it like a um, like a statue? Or is I it think a it's a statue. Yeah. And she wants to know who she was, and she was the leader of these elves that inspired them to fight. There's this beautiful white bush of roses, flowers. I guess they're white roses, aren't they? Yeah, roses. And it's funny because they were a symbol of their resistance against humans, but also a symbol of never do that again because it almost eradicated us. And it explains that all the, you know, this is, Geralt explains to Syria that all the younger elves, they went to fight, but what a lot of people don't realize is that the elder elves don't procreate anymore. They don't give offspring, so they're killing off their line by all the youngsters dying. Well, yeah, it's basically, you know, what I was saying before about the unintended consequences of your of your choices is that she can choose to not be neutral, but in doing so, she is going to be kind of culpable in the complete and total eradication of this people group. Including, like, if she's the last witcher and she gets involved in something and killed off, where will any other witchers come from? Oh, that's what I'm saying. They already don't have the ability to do the trial of grasses. We didn't bring that up before, which is one of the main reasons why they brought Triss in, is because, or not one of the one of the reasons why she thought was that you know they didn't they don't even know how to perform the the rituals and everything to make Siri be a witcher. Right, and she's like, I understand now. Can I take a rose to remind me of this mm-hmm. lesson? And he says yes, and she pricks her finger. And it's then she sees through clairvoyance. Like, let's just say that that's one of her abilities. She has clairvoyance, right? She sees that they're being attacked, Yarpin and Triss. So they rush back and there's this battle ensuing where they're being attacked and circling around them. Do you picture like a wagon train with Indians attacking from the (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Circling the wagons, yeah. Yeah, and Yarpin and the dwarves are fighting valiantly. But can we just pour one out for Polly Dahlberg? Oh my goodness! That that whole part where where Polly Dahlberg is dead and his brother is is there and he's just like weeping. The way Peter Kinney made his voice sound so pitiful yeah. and and weepy. At the, oh man, it, it killed me. It was it was incredibly yeah. sad. He's like, Polly, what will I tell our mother? <laughs> tell my mother. Yeah, exactly. And I was the thing like, that's oh, sad. Man. The sad. The reason Polly died is he's never fought another dwarf before. When that Scoia'tael dwarf appears in front of him, he hesitates because he doesn't fight his fellow dwarves, and the dwarf cuts him down. And it's yeah. really that's really sad. And then Yarpin immediately kills that dwarf. And uh, Siri, she's about to be killed by this elven woman until the woman sees that Siri has the white rose, and she freezes and kind of says, Eliwed, or whatever the person's name was. And that's when Geralt chops her down. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With his razor sharp sword uh, that uh, is very deadly. It's just really sad. You know, it was all completely unnecessary because we find out this whole thing. We also see Venk, who vouches for Yarp, and he's been shot with several arrows, and Triss is trying to keep him alive with a spell, and he's bleeding to death. And he basically tells the men that showed up. The men that showed up earlier show up again to help them. And they fight them off and the battle's over. And he says, 
Yarpin, he's a he's I vouch for him. He's good. He's not a traitor. That this whole mission they sent him on was to see if Yarpin would turn these supposed goods over to the Scoyatel when it also it was just like rocks and stuff, wasn't it? Yeah, it turns out it was a bunch of, you know, the whole thing, Polly Dalbert dying and them going on this giant thing was all because they didn't trust Yarpin because he was a dwarf. Yeah, and Yarpin's like, what have you done to us, you know? Yeah, it was so sad. Like, this whole section, like I said before, it was very light when you have the the, the part where Siri and Yarpin are talking. It's, it's, it's fun at that point. And then it just takes such a turn. Well, I gotta and you say, feel so bad for these dwarves. Yeah, the next chapter is actually pretty funny, too. It uh, is, yeah, that is. Geralt's on the funny. riverboat. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, that is. Geralt has taken a job on a ship protecting people as it's uh, going down the river back and forth, uh, ferrying them. And uh, there's been reports of an Eshna. The chapter begins with him reading letters, one from Siri. And I love Siri's letters. They're hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was hilarious. Being at um, Melitola and uh, Mother Neneke. And I love the bit where and Mother Neneke says that uh, there's nothing wrong with praying and having faith and all that stuff. Because remember <laughs> yeah. in The Last Wish, she uh, doesn't give Geralt... She kind of gives Geralt a hard time about not believing in anything. And they're like, they're, you know, praying never hurt anyone kind of thing. And I thought that was yeah. funny to kind of add that in there. And it's talking about her learning and how she's learning to speak better Elvish. The the el- elder speech. And apparently there was kind of like a broken elder speech they spoke in Sintra. And uh, now she's learning the proper way. I thought that was really cool. But the best part of this whole chapter is uh, Geralt cursing himself for the way he addressed Yennefer, asking for her help. <laughs> yeah. By addressing so her funny. by saying, dear friend. And it's so funny, that letter. I actually re- read it several times. And I love the way she says, your unexpected letter, which I received not quite three years after we last saw each other, has given me much joy. My joy is all the greater as various rumors have been circulating about your sudden and violent death. <laughs> it is a good thing that you have decided to disclaim them by writing me. It's a good thing, too, that you were doing so, so soon. Meaning he took forever to actually write her to say, hey, I'm fine. Yeah. From your letter, it appears you have lived a peaceful, wonderfully boring life, devoid of all sensations. These days, such as life is a real privilege, dear friend, and I am happy that you have managed to achieve it. I was touched by your sudden concern, which you deigned to show as to my health, dear friend. I hasten with the news that, yes, I now feel well. The period of indisposition is behind me. I have dealt with the difficulties, the description of which I shall not bore you with. And I love how many times she says, dear, dear friend, rest assured, dear friend. It's just fantastic how sarcastic (laughs) it is. Oh, yeah. And it ends. And I love the idea of her, her like being in this horrible battle and going blind is like the difficulties that he didn't even. Yeah. try to find out if she was okay or not it's so nice of you to reach out to me now when you need something you know dear friend and uh, <laughs> I, I love the bit where uh, she says that 
needing a, a it's, I feel so special to be the second person you've needed and not the first, <laughs> your second choice. Like, it's so special to be the second choice. And I love how sarcastic it is. And then it says the letter smelled of lilac and gooseberries. And then Geralt just curses himself like, damn it. Why did I have to say dear friend? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like just dearest Yennefer something, but he tried exactly. To oh, but even still, it would have it would have she would have found some other way to be sarcastic and let him pay for it. Yeah, and again, he's trying to stay neutral here and not show any emotion. It always gets him into trouble, doesn't it? It does definitely. It's just so funny that he thinks he's not capable of emotion, but the entire time he he is definitely emotional. That's a great thing about Geralt. When you see pictures of even the Witcher, you see these badass Geralt. He's got a sword and stuff, but you don't see is the stepping into shit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, constantly the, uh, tripping over his own, uh, you know, words, Geralt. The uh, yeah, Not, the bad at relationships, Geralt. Yeah, the awkward Geralt. And I think that's why I love him, because he's the awkward Geralt. And, uh, exactly. He does have emotion, and if he... <laughs> it's just great that he's this flawed character. I think that's what's so interesting about him. Yeah. And he's there on the ship, and I love the little boy. There's a little boy. Oh, Everett? Like, Everett. He's like, my daddy's a knight. He has a bigger sword than you do. And... Geralt's like, piss off, you brat, or whatever. And his <laughs> yeah. mom's like, Everett, come over here. And you see, he keeps showing up again and again. And he's like, my dad's a knight. And it's just like, my hilarious. dad's got a bigger mustache than you do. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. I love little Everett. And on this boat is Boat Bug. There's a guy <laughs> named Boat Bug. He's the skipper of the ferry. You know, he's just like, hey, Geralt, you reading? A, you reading? And he's like, yeah, I'm reading here. And he's like, all right, then. And then we meet the master tutor and lecturer. Oh, my favorite. Linus Pitt. And I love the way Peter Kenny does the voice of Linus Pitt. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, I love the voice for Boat Bug also because it's the same uh, voice that we had for the sheep bagger. And the guy, um, you know, from, from the mermaid story, it's that like country bumpkin, stupid idiot voice. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean that the, um, that the characters are actually idiots, but they just come across with that voice as being simple people. Yeah. And I, I love that voice. And then we have Linus Pitt, who's kind of like, I say, are you mocking me, sir? You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I just love how, how like uh, he's so excited to meet Geralt in the beginning, and then when he when Geralt isn't as scientific as he would like him to be, he basically writes him off as an idiot, yeah. even so, though he has tons of practical knowledge with all these creatures. Yeah, he's like an Eshna. I've never never heard of such a creature in these waters. <laughs> you know, it's just like Geralt's just like oh, and he at one point they see something take a gobble up a dead rat and sink under the water and he's like my lord what was that and Geralt's like I don't know a penguin maybe <laughs> and he's like are yeah. you mocking me <laughs> I thought that was great and then this custom boat shows up they're making sure that no one's bringing in Nilfgaardian goods because apparently Nilfgaard is shipping in cheap crap and messing up the economy you know mm-hmm 
made in Nilfgaard, it says <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. underneath every trinket you can yeah. buy at uh, gift uh, shops. It's all cheap stuff. plastic that breaks <laughs> immediately. <laughs> yeah. Then these other guys show up. And they're looking for Gerald of Rivia. I think uh, Peter Kenny calls him Gerald. Or yeah, know, when, when I see it written out, it just looks like Gerald of Rivia. It was it was the way he said it was Gerald or Gerald. Yeah, I thought that was funny. And he's like, "Well, I we also we get the we get the part where the customs officer is somebody that Gerald knows, right? Oh and yeah, they, they, Olson, Olson the Olson, R- that's Rodinian right, yeah. guy. And he's like, "Oh, and that's right," because he says. Hey, remember when you said if anybody's asking about you to let you know? Well, actually, there's these dudes asking about you and wondering if you travel with a young girl. And Linus Pitt's kind of like, a young girl? Like, hmm. This yeah, is he's very- totally put off because he thinks Geralt's a pervert, basically. An old man traveling with a young girl, I say. You know, it's just like, <laughs> no, no, it's nothing like that. Uh, <laughs> nothing to see here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's when uh, Geralt's like, okay, these guys want to take me. I'm going to let them take me because I need to question this Riant's guy who he's since learned, no doubt, from conversations with Dandelion or Yennefer or whatever. He just knows about them, you know. Yeah. So he wants to find out what this deal is. But these guys show up. And- well, it sounds like the whole reason why he was on the boat in the first place was to kind of set a trap for Riant's. Yeah, he's, yeah he, he, he's making himself known publicly because what the reason why he was on that boat was to protect it. And they used the idea of having the famous Geralt of Rivia being the one who's protecting as kind of like a marketing tool. Yeah, like, hey, I'm going to ride on this boat. It's got the famous Witcher on there and plus we'll be safe. Yeah, exactly. And so these guys are like, oh, he's there. Huh? We'll go check it out. And so they show up, and Olsen is not having any. He's like, I say, you have no uh, territory here. You know, you have, what is, what is the word I'm thinking of? You have no um, jurisdiction Jurisdiction on this boat. And uh, he's like, let me see your papers. And obviously the guys have no papers. <laughs> yeah. And uh, these guys' voices, the bald guy, he's kind of had the, the oafish voice, didn't he? Yeah, he did. He definitely did. And he even grabs Everett. With a knife, and he's gonna. Oh no! I cut know Everett. Like, and you I mean, know, it's like Everett's annoying, but I didn't want to see him die. <laughs> yeah, we don't want the kid to die, and <laughs> yeah. neither did Geralt. What's so funny is he's like, "You're gonna come with us," and Geralt's like, "Okay, I'll come with you. Leave the boy alone." And then the Eshna decides to appear, which <laughs> I thought was hilarious. Yeah, the creature awesome decides. Timing. I thought this was uh, so such a cool action scene in the book. Uh, oh, it was. I think it was the best action scene in the entire book. It was awesome. Yeah, uh, the creature pulls the bald guy and Everett in the water, and you know, uh, Geralt dives in after him to save the boy. And you know, people are uh, right away shooting arrows and sh- uh, throwing spears at it. <laughs> And I think even one grazes by Geralt's head, like, hello, I'm in the water. You're, you know, what? Yeah, with his child. Yeah, and he saves the the little boy. And I love the voice Peter Kinney does for the mother. It's like, Edward! (laughs) Yeah. My child! There's a great part also where uh, the kid, Everett, he's poking a dead rat in the water with a stick. And Geralt goes over there and snatches a stick from his hand. And he's like, Go away, you little brat. And you hear him go, Mommy! <laughs> yeah. It was really funny. 
So uh, Geralt is fighting with the bald guy, and he gets away, and they're helping him on the boat. And he's like, uh, the other two guys have been killed. So he's like, leave that guy alive because I need to question him. And uh, all of a sudden, the Eshna... Is it a different Eshna? They killed the first one, and another one's coming, I think. Well, I think they, they saw another one downstream, I mm-hmm. believe. Because uh, Linus Pitt is basically like, oh, it's the only one of its kind. And then they see one downstream that dives underwater. So I think it might be the, the same one. I think only one of, one of them attacked. I could be wrong, though. I think it's great how excited he gets, like, oh, I've never seen a creature like this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the boat's basically being torn apart, and he's, like, there trying to name it after Geralt. Yeah, and Geralt's like, oh, I'm so happy for your discovery. And uh, the creature's going after the bald guy who he wants to keep alive, and I love Everett's, like, my daddy can swim much faster than that. I thought that was great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, it, it, it's interesting, too, the the idea of um, it, when, when they start talking about the tide beforehand, it, like, it was one of the things that Geralt was, ta- was talking to Linus about, was that, uh, you know, Linus doesn't believe that there's a creature like this in here. And he's like, look, th- this river, when it gets to low tide, is basically just a soupy mess of like human feces, dead rats and and chemicals, basically. And yeah. so what it's done is is taken a regular creature and mutated it into something completely horrible. And so that's why Linus Pitt is sitting there like freaking out that he found this this new species. <laughs> it's like this horrible monster. <laughs> yes. That was fantastic. And uh, when, you know, Geralt's like, okay, I'm going to have this guy. I'm going to question him. Just then, in its jaws, it takes the guy and pulls him under. <laughs> yeah. and you just see blood come up. And Geralt does a Murtaugh from Lethal Weapon. Like, I'm um, <laughs> Yes, exactly. Did you think that, too, when you said Oh, definitely. He says definitely. it twice. I'm too old for this. I thought that was yeah. great. It's a bit of comic relief there. Just uh, It was comedy of errors and so then we get to uh see what uh wait isn't this when the story cuts to oxenfurt with dandelion and dandelions uh this uh, i love this part how it describes oxenfurt basically this is a college town right and there's the different vendors yelling things and one of them was like magic cats will catch mice (laughs) You got your magic cats here. And another guy's like, uh, teeth pulling, not a, only a little Almost painless. Yeah, almost painless. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> it's like, oh, almost painless. I'm going to go there to have my teeth pulled. I can't afford the almost painless one. Yeah, and uh, Dandelion's being followed by these people, and he's trying to shake them, and he runs into Shanny. Shanny, a medical student who is friends with Dandelion. Dandelion, uh, it, it's funny because it kind of described how the instructors there, the professors, thought Dandelion was a bumbling fool who was an idiot who didn't study. But apparently he was good. You know, he's talent. He basically, let's face it, Dandelion gets by on his talent alone, doesn't he? He does, yeah. But we also find out that this is where, like, Dandelion is 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 a schoolboy. You know, yeah. we didn't we didn't really know that that he was like an educated person. I didn't even know that uh, Truveriship or however you pronounce it was something that you could study. Yeah, and do you, didn't you just picture him wearing like his Letterman sweater as he was walking? 
No, it I didn't, the, but I do now. The Oxenfurt O on it. It's like, oh, yeah, exactly. He's like, I'm at my alma mater. And <laughs> I can just imagine the fraternity that he, like, you know, pledged for. And I love this. He's trying to shake these people following him. So he goes up to Shani. He's like, obviously, he needs to meet up with Geralt, who, uh, on the riverboat, he was heading towards Oxenford. That's where he was going to get off at. And so he needs to get word to him, but he can't because these people following. So he's like, Shani, I need you to do me a favor. And she goes, Ooh, a real witcher. He's like, Shani, keep it down. <laughs> yeah. And then he runs right into Dykstra. And uh, you know what? Before we get on it, I think that the, the dandelion uh, in college prequel is the prequel that we need. You know yes. what I'm saying? I want to see more of Dandelion's backstory. Exactly. And the one of him in college, I think, would be... It would just be awesome. Yeah, if... Uh, you know, Andre Subkovsky, if he writes any more prequels, I want to see the early years when uh, Geralt was a teenager and Dandelion was in uh, college or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be awesome. So he meets up uh, with Dykstra and Philippa Eilhart, who is a sorceress. And Dykstra, he's like, it describes him as kind of a fat, dumb-looking guy who's extremely smart. Well, yeah, he doesn't fit the uh, the, the profile that you would think uh, a spy would be. Like, the way he describes spies is basically the, like the, the Gestapo guy, I forget his name, in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. And that's kind of the vibe that I got for Ryan's. It w- was basically the same kind of guy. And so you would think that Dykstra would be the same way, but he's not. He's yeah, he's the perfect the exact spy because you'd never suspect him because he looks like a moron. Yes. And he works for King Vizimir of Redania. Redania, whatever you want to say. But they... They want to know where's Geralt and where's the, the lioness cub of Sintra and that kind of thing. And, you know, Dandelion's like, I don't know. <laughs> you know. It's like, hey, get in line. Everybody wants to know that. And, you know, Philippa does not trust Dandelion at all. And they basically say, you know, we want to know where he is to warn him. We're his friend. We're trying to help. You know, there are these people... Apparently, these Temerian guards have gone missing that were on a riverboat, and Temeria is very upset about this, and they want to speak to Geralt. We can protect him. And he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's it's also, this is where we find out that Dandelion is an informant on a lot of things. Like, he works as kind of a government agent for... um, you know, in, in specific uh, situations, which is something I, I wasn't really expecting. Yeah, and it sounds like he's very selective about it, too. He's like, first I'm a bard, then I'm a spy, you know, if I choose to be. Like, he's kind of fooling himself, it sounds like. You know what I mean? Like, uh, he's like, yeah. I'm only a spy if I choose to, but they're like, no, no, no. If you work for us, you work for us. Philippa kind of lays all the cards on the table about Geralt like we need him because we need this girl Siri and he's like sorry I can't help you and he goes and blends in with the college crowd goes drinking and hanging out with them and stuff hoping that you know they will lose him and he sneaks out through an old trap door that he discovered or made what did he make the trap door when he was a student there but he sneaks out and uh hoping he's not being tracked and uh he arrives at where Geralt is and he taps on the window. He's like, Geralt, let me in. 
And Geralt's like, oh, Dandelion? Oh, you got, hold on a second. And he's like, hold on? What are you even talking about? You're not betting someone in there, are you? And he goes in through the window and he's like, Shawnee! <laughs> <laughs> I thought that yeah. was great. Yeah. And, uh, I, I thought I thought it was great too. I, I often wonder, like, how or when when I found out about that, I was wondering how Geralt was putting the moves on her, or even if he had to, or if she was just basically yeah. throwing herself she at him because he's a witcher to meet him. Yeah. And another yeah. thing is, uh, Dandelion describes Shawnee as, you know, there was super hot women that aren't that interesting. Shawnee was more of a kind of a girl that you thought about after the the idea of the hot girl wore off and you thought more of the smart girl kind of a thing yeah <laughs> i thought it was kind of funny uh just the way dandelion's mind works and, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah he's shocked that uh Geralt has bet her and also philippa she's an owl lands on the windowsill and it turns into philippa she has the power to turn into an owl yeah she's got she's one of the only wizards that has mastered polymorphy which is really cool. Yeah, definitely cool. And she's even like, well, Geralt, a 17-year-old. And I'm like, oh, Geralt. No, what? dude, man. Dude, what? This is a different time, right? <laughs> it is. This different is... country it's coming from, too. So I don't know what goes on over there. Yeah, yeah. She's a college. She's of college age, right? Drinking age, probably yeah, exactly, or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. But every once in a while, you run into a part of the book. You're like, wait a second. Oh, wait God. a minute. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Move, All right. Move past this. Uh... <laughs> this is tra- <laughs> something must be lost in translation. All right. Okay. Rionce is mentioned and Shani's like I does he have a scar on his face I know who that guy is and they're like huh (laughs) (laughs) and uh, there's like a chapter break there and we get to I gotta say this part where it was the kings all meeting and talking that was a long chapter to read because I was like I wanted to get back to the adventures of Geralt and see what was going on there so I was like how long are these kings gonna be talking but when they finally get to the point of what they're talking about, I was like, oh, shit is getting real now. Because- yeah, it, it, like everything I had said about King Faltest before about being a very interesting kind of multidimensional character kind of goes out the window here because he really just comes off as like a giant jerk. Right. So there's uh, King Vizimir of Redania. There's Demavend of Adirn, Adirn or Adirn. Full test of Tamaria, which, you know, the last wish, uh, we know who he's from. Hens- Henselt, king of Cadwin, Car- And then there's a lady named Meve. She's the queen of Lyria. And they're discussing how uh, the Nilfgaardians, they're creating unrest. And uh, how are we going to deal with this? And they're like, we should attack them head on. It's like, no, no, that's a terrible idea. And then they're <laughs> like, oh, we should uh, round up all the elves and kill them all, you know? And it's like, ah, I don't know, guys. And uh, Vizimir is like, I know, we'll take Sintra back. And they're like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not mm-hmm. an idea. But what about this lion cub? You know, the what about. Uh, you know, Princess Cirilla, she's a rightful heir to the throne. What if, uh, you know, we take Sintra back and then put her on the throne and then all the people will be accepting? So, no, better yet, we marry her off to one of our kingdoms and they're kind of all arguing, well, which kingdom, you know? <laughs> yeah. 
and then they decide, you know, it might be better off if we just kind of make sure she never shows up. If she's not dead already, we got to make sure she never does. So if we find her, we need to kill her. These guys well, are yeah, assholes. It also goes to show you how like how behind the eight ball these these kings are because this is taking place way after uh, the Nilfgaardian um, king, I forget his name, has made his plans for Siri. Emhiva Emres, I believe. <laughs> yes. That sounds pretty good. What it looks to me like is Nilfgaard is creating all this unrest. I think unrest is is a great way to describe it. Yeah. So basically what they're doing is they're... Also, they talk of they're sending in these druids and these prophesizers that are like the end is coming and they're getting everyone scared and riled up. And so... Yeah, the prophets are coming in basically talking about the same thing that we heard about in the first... Uh, part of the story under the tree, like yeah, that, yeah. that whole prophecy. And so um, they're like, we got to do something about this to show that we've got our shit together. So they're like, I know, let's create a fake border dispute. And, you know, it'll seem like the Nilf Guardians, they attacked us, but we really attack them. But nobody will know that. And then that'll give us a reason to start a war. And they're like, well, you know, you don't want to piss off the Council of Wizards they might side with the Nilf Guardians if they think we're instigating something. So they're like, well, we got to make sure they don't know we instigated it. So we got to fake it and make it look like... So they're really scheming here, you know? They are. And they're also worried that what's going to happen is that um, uh, the Nilf Guardians are going to align themselves with the Lion Cub of Sintra and basically uh, become um, legitimate like legitimately own Sintra and that would be the yeah. worst thing for them Yeah, because it wouldn't just the... be them occupying Sintra it would be them actually becoming the rulers of that territory yeah because they're like what if uh, Var Emrys he finds Ciri and he marries her and then the people of Sintra are like oh okay this is cool well yeah because the way they make it seem is like you you know the, the Nilfgaardians have invaded but really what br- they bring along with them is prosperity like it's actually better for them you know uh to be under nilf guardian rule than yeah. it is to be under all these fractured kingdoms because they have a strong economy and and people seem to be fairly happy but when you're the king of one of those other countries that's a major threat yeah and also they supposedly they spread word that they treat like elves and dwarves and uh, they treat them all as equals and it's like hey it doesn't sound so it bad. actually doesn't sound too bad you but know? someone like yarpin knows it's a load of crap you know yeah but when you hear that secondhand and in the streets you're like hmm this doesn't sound so bad here so the the kings are trying to come up with uh, a way to get things back and basically fight off the nilf guardians before they do anything and their big plan is to find Siri and basically kill her. I think even one of them, Maeve, the woman, says, no, 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 we need to lock her up somewhere and then marry her off to a knight and then she'll have some kids and then, you know, just have her disappear. And they're like, no, 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 it's better off if she's dead. And so as I'm reading this, I'm like, the whole bit about uh, Geralt, like, hey, we're neutral, we're not getting involved, is like, you're not staying uninvolved, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, I'm sorry, but you're not going to have that luxury because you are basically taking care of the giant puzzle piece in all of this uh, situation. As soon as you find out the kings of all these countries want her dead. Or married. 
or married, they're going to use her as a pawn, basically. Like, he's not going to like that. Well, what it sounds like also that we learn in this section is that, that really the, the battle of Sodden Hill, they, they pretty much got through that by the skin of their teeth. And um, they're thinking, oh, we'll just do that again. But it's like, no, you don't understand. They're going to just keep coming and biding their time. And eventually we're not going to have the resources that we had on Sodden Hill. Yeah. I Did you notice one of the kings... Uh, they're saying, yeah, we should uh, go after all the, the Scoia'tael, but we should also go over after the Dryads and Brokilon and take them out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We just need to have an ethnic cleansing. That yeah. always works out so well. And it sounds like a total disaster. And I'm really worried about what the next book is titled, The Time of Contempt. Oh, great. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a good time. But also, it cuts... I wonder if this was drawing to you. It goes from the Kings to Sintra, where we're introduced to M. M. Hervar Emris. You don't know who he is until like the end of the conversation, but we meet Marshall Cohorn. Well, at first, I thought this was all part of the same like part of the book. I didn't realize that there was a transition there, and so it was like, wait, what's going on? When I read it, when I did it the first time, I mean, this happens to me a lot in these books because I'm a little bit slow. I almost wish that there was like a uh, like a a musical break, like (laughs) you know, we we knew, yeah. Usually, you know, there'll be like in a book, there's three asterisks. They're like, okay, this is a chapter break here where something else it's, we're changing locations here. Yeah, exactly. Book, Even there isn't anything like that. So I'm like, okay, what's going on here? Oh, there's, there's not in the actual book. Oh, that's, that's crazy. So you just went directly into the next part. Yeah. And we get to learn of this guy who's the governor of Sintra and he hates his job. He doesn't want to be there. Think Cintra- well, he says it's so gloomy, which is interesting yeah. to hear how Sintra is described by an outsider, because when we hear about it from Calanthe, it's this, you know, rugged, it's the place to be, really. And yeah. but he just seems it is gloomy. And we get to learn that the, I'm going to just say the emperor of um, Nilfgaard, yes. he's the one who has uh, got Rayance on the payroll trying to find Siri. And what's interesting is he says that uh, don't toy around with the Witcher, just kill him. Get rid of him. If you run into Yennefer, don't harm her. And I thought that was very interesting. And I started, Well, yeah, I, I think he didn't want to set off Geralt, like, at first, right? Right. Well, I wondered, like, does Yennefer know him? Is this some guy we've run into before, but I don't know how? And I started wondering if this is secretly somebody else. I don't know, but... Uh, well, what, what I had thought was that, like... If, if they were to kill Yennefer, it really would have tipped off Geralt to what their plans were. And so he would kind of stop at nothing to get back at her. So they're almost trying to, like, keep him at bay by not poking the most important, well, the second most important thing to him. Yeah, it also might rile up the Council of Wizards, too, or something. If yeah, exactly. Yeah. She's fairly well connected, even though it seems like most people don't like her very much. Yeah, and they never know what she's up to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They introduce the Black Knight. He walks in with the winged helmet, and he's on uh, the Emperor's shit list, basically. Like, you failed before. Are you going to fail me again? He's like, no, 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 no. And he's like, you'll be freed, and you'll be able to do whatever you want after this. And he's like, you know, and Cohorn is like, I don't think he even believes him. But He doesn't really have much of a choice. 
Yeah, and when he talks about his failure before, I think that's bringing Siri to him, right? That's yeah, I would love to see how she had escaped from him. Yeah, that's like the big mystery because she even asked Geralt, you know, she's like, what did he do to me? How did I get away? And it's like, it's just a dream. But apparently he did try to get at her, but failed, you know? Yeah. He's still tasked of getting Siri. So maybe in the next book, we'll see some more of this Black Knight guy and find out more about him or whatever. Yeah, I'm sure we will. There's no doubt that Nilfgaard wants to take over the entire continent, right? They're not just stopping at Sintra. Oh, yeah, definitely. They're trying to win over the people. And you know what's funny is, you know, this was uh, written by a Polish author who was a child. Uh, could they be, represent the Nazis? Where you think? I have? think so. But I mean, they don't come off quite as evil as the Nazis or as, as you would think somebody would uh, portray the Nazis to be uh, if they yeah, actually we went through that. We don't we definitely don't know what their game is, what they're at besides just conquering like, yeah. What is the point of this, and why do they want Siri? Uh, well, uh, the first thing is, I think he wants Siri to marry her to for Sintra, like the kings were saying, or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But when you get into the whole part about like them going into the forest of Brokulon and 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 basically ethnically cleansing the the, the United Kings, come off more like the Nazis do. Does does that make sense? Yeah, or just the people ridding of, uh, you know, taking land and not caring about those people, you know. Yes. Like we said before, Native Americans just taking their land and shipping yeah. them somewhere or whatever. It's just terrible, you know. But Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <God. laughs> so we have a scene here with uh, the Council of Wizards. Yeah, we, we, this, this whole section was like a bunch of characters sitting around a bunch of different tables having a bunch of different conversations yeah you know it was a lot of exposition going on in this part which was much needed because it's nice to like see what the stakes are from everyone else's point of view yeah but uh, yeah we do here. we do get the part with the council of wizards which was was neat i i i, I like all that stuff like, I like yeah. all the political intrigue things that are going on in this me, section. Yeah, me too. And they know not to trust the kings. Like, the kings are up to something because they haven't been talking to us. And usually they use us as their counsel and, you know, they get advice from us. But they're kind of keeping us at bay. So something's up. And I think b right before this, though, there is, like, Siri has a dream of Yennefer and her. And they're in front of a big door. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, it's basically you can't go through the door and Jennifer's trying to keep her. And I think it's to represent the darkness of magic. Remember, she kind of tells her that there's um, chaos, there's science. But yeah, so, something about the idea that magic is connected to chaos because, it, you know, it. Um, yeah, I, I don't remember, it's but I do remember Jennifer that being said. It's not one of these things. It's all of them. Mm-hmm. And then we they go to visit Merman. <laughs> Merman. Merman. Yeah, Merman. And he's got like a drawbridge and Shanny's like, hey, let me in. He's like, what, at this hour? She's like, I can't let people see me visit during the day. He's like, okay. And right when he opens the door, Geralt punches him in the head. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so is for, for some reason, I thought this was the house of Wolfgang Amadeus Goatbeard. Was that where Geralt was staying? I for, I, where did that name come up from? There, uh, There's a part where uh, Dandelion is walking through the town, and he there's like a 
uh, he's spotting the different places and he goes, there's a well-known tavern with ale made by the finest ale made by Wolfgang Amadeus Goatbeard. <laughs> oh, okay. And I just yeah, thought so. that was so random and hilarious. That's a great name. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. It's like, okay, I'll take All right. for it. <laughs> so basically, Shani sells this guy medical supplies. And one time when she was there, Riance was there, and he kind of made a pass at her, kind of getting handsy. And uh, so she'll never forget the guy with the burnt mark on his face that Yennefer left there from a fireball. Yeah, he like it, it, he invites her out dancing, which just doesn't seem to me like something that, of what I know of Riance, like what he... Uh, he would do, but hey, yeah, I, I guess he's like, a, hey, a dancing fan. Hey, come dancing with me, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no, I don't think so. You're really I'm good. You've got a big scar on the side of your face, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so they question him. Philip yeah, Lund. well, I, lo- I love the idea, Geralt, like, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut you apart piece by piece and feed you to the eels. And he's like, and I'm going to start with your ears. And he's like, well... In order for them to know that I didn't give it up too soon, I guess I'm going to have to sacrifice one ear. Yeah. And then I will tell him, basically, right? Yeah. See, they put up a fight. Because apparently he has this amulet, and they know that if the amulet can call Riance, and that's how they're going to get him. But what they don't know is it also alerts Riance to danger. And I'm like, dude, these amulets are awesome. And all these. Yeah, exactly. We're learning so much about magic. They have portals they can travel through. They have amulets that can do different things. Uh, Well, if it were me, I'd be wearing like a bunch of different amulets, you know, all at once. And it would look all gaudy and ostentatious, but like, you know, they have so many different uh, useful functions. You kind of would have to, right? Right. Oh, I think this is when we cut to the, the wizards, because remember that Vilgefortz guy gets a letter that basically says, "Ah, uh, yes, yeah, you're right." Says that uh, Geralt is dead, and this Tessia Devries, Devries, she uh, is like, "Oh, I think not," and he's like, "No, no, trust me." And it's like, "Oh, what the hell does this guy know?" And then it cuts back to that. But what's interesting about the Council of Wizards, this guy Vilgefort seems like he's kind of full of himself. Because, yeah, well, he's like kind of the leader of it, isn't he? Yeah, he's highly regarded by other mages and sorcerers, but also kings like really want to know. He fought valiantly at Sodden and all this. So they're like, hey, this guy knows stuff. But Tissaia doesn't like him, but puts she keeps all of her opinions about him to herself, but she doesn't trust him. And in fact, he well, it's, like it this- sounds like after Sodden, because we hear about this from from Triss in the beginning, that a lot of stuff has changed since Sodden Hill. And it sounds like he's the one that's ta- kind of taken over and taken leadership of the council. And yeah. not everybody is super happy about that. Like Tissai is like, I just noticed, did everyone not notice everyone's all of a sudden doing everything he says? Like, did we ever, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Did, they ever, did we make this guy our leader? I don't understand. And there's an interesting character named Lydia von Breedvort who never says a word and she just has this weird look on her face and we figure out that she communicates telepathically because when her and these other wizards try to open this ancient thing relic or something uh, it killed all of them and it left her scarred it actually her jaw was blown off basically and there's this very strong illusion that makes her look normal that uh, so you're not basically it says that you would be horrified to see what she really looks like. <laughs> yeah. and she's 
in love with Vilgefortz, and everyone knows that, but he is not interested in her like that at all. And then there's another guy, Artaud Terranova, which is an awesome name, Terranova. It is. He seems kind of like the dumb guy who's just there like to eat and not really pay that much attention. Mm-hmm. They're scheming as well, and... You know, kind of talking about how can we trust the kings? They're not talking to us anymore. But meanwhile, Tessiah, she's doing this kind of cool thing that I try to imagine in my head where she's kind of trying to investigate his desk area, which has been cloaked, like shrouded, where you can't see anything. And she's trying to penetrate that with her mind to see what's going on. And he sees these different, she sees these different objects on his desk. She figures out that he's trying to track Yennefer. And she's yeah, well, like, doesn't he bring up Yennefer at one point, and, he, and he's just kind of like, "Oh, I, you know, I, I just, I'm just wondering where she is, you know, yeah, like trying to be nonchalant about it." Yeah, I don't really care or anything. Uh, I, guess, <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. Is there anything? And Tessia is like, you know, Yennefer wears magic clothes, like all of her jewelry and stuff, keeps her cloaked where no one can track her because she's really smart like that. But this guy, he's really trying hard he even has like old elven prophecies there and she's like what is he up to well do you think is is he into uh yennefer kind of like um oh what was the other guy's name in the last book istrid yeah you think it's that type of situation or is he threatened by her because she's so clever and so powerful well here's my little things i'm coming up with uh okay remember they said riant's Yennefer says that he's kind of like a, he's not that powerful of sorcerers. So someone's helping him. In fact, it's not even his, a portal that he escaped through. Somebody opened it for him. She's so she's like some other more powerful mage is helping him. I'm wondering if Vilgefortz and the Nilfgaardian guy are either in cahoots together or the Nilfgaardian guy has a powerful wizard himself. I don't yeah, I mean, it would make sense that they would be in cahoots together, but there, there probably are wizards that we aren't that we haven't heard about yet. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, he did fight the Nilfgaardians at Sun, so maybe not. Maybe it's just because he wants Siri too, you know? Or maybe he kind of sees the way the world is going and and decides to side with them afterwards. I don't know. He's just not a very trustworthy character. Yeah, maybe he could easily be like, well, Vilgefortz, tell me what you want and I could give it to you. And it's like, uh, exactly. Yeah, just something like that. Like he's easy to uh, whatever. So anyway, uh, (laughs) (laughs) is this the fight with Riance now? It is. Yes. Siri has a dream about them and then it cuts to them. And Riance has actually hired these four hitmen who are all brothers, right? Yes. They're all, yeah, they're like a, 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 a stabby crew. Yeah, and they're the Michelet brothers. The famous Michelet brothers. They've been. Which assassin- it seems to me like they should all, like, kind of work as trapeze artists as yeah. well as being assassins. Well, it's a, even one of them, it says he's been killing since the age of 14. I was like, oh, geez. <laughs> yeah. I've been an assassin since I was 14 years old. What's interesting is Riant says that he's just a regular guy that I need you to take out. He doesn't tell them that it's a witcher, which makes me think that he never intended them to survive just to stall. Oh, no, not at all. Just to stall Geralt so he can get out of there, I guess. But then, you know, Vilgefortz gets a report that Geralt's dead. But I guess the way Geralt ends up is he seems in pretty dire straits here, right? One thing I love about this fight with the Michelet brothers is it says, and Geralt was angry. 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. And he was even angrier. And as he's taking them out one at a time and slashing them, and they're just kind of like choking on their own blood in the street. And he keeps marching forward to Riance, and he's like, and he was still angry. He was like, oh, dude, <laughs> you're in big trouble. Yeah, you're screwed, Riance. But then, you know, he calls for help on maybe an amulet or a smartphone or whatever. And uh, <laughs> yeah. he's got an enchanted phone. Uh, uh-huh. A portal opens up and Geralt expects somebody to come out of it. And he f- f- makes the sign of Ard on the portal. But instead, it's like power going into Riance like he's empowered. And blades pop out of his hands like Wolverine or something. Oh, yeah, that was that was uh, awesome. I, I think I, I love the, uh, the the part right before that where uh, Rians starts talking about how he's going to kill Yennefer, oh, and he's yeah. like, and, and, and he's like, I'll teach her a lesson or two about playing around with fire. And Geralt's like, Yeah, you messed up because at one point you had the chance to live, and now you don't have that chance anymore. Yeah. And the the thing that was was great because I've always wondered what like would Geralt do in a fight with a wizard because he's not really a magical character and Riance like he, he shoots some energy at him and he totally dispels it with his sword and I was like I didn't know his sword could do that that's awesome yeah I just think whenever he's pissed he can just defeat magic I think <laughs> yeah exactly it's like ain't working today bud uh-huh. it's like what the hell you he, he pissed off a witcher, dude. Just run. Yeah, sorry. And I lo- yeah, I do love that. You're like, you shouldn't have told me that about Yennefer, because now you're going to die. Yeah, exactly. So he stabs Geralt with these clawed fingers, and uh, he doesn't matter, because Geralt's still going to get him. But all of a sudden, he feels a pull, and Philippa is basically keeping him at bay, and Riance escapes. And he's like, why did you do that? And uh, also, she questioned one of the uh, the brothers to find out who Riance is working for, and then she stabs him in the temple with a stiletto. So she's kind of a scary chick. Yeah, what what is her deal? I wasn't understanding why she let Riance get away. Right, and uh, even Geralt's like, why did you do that? Oh, I think I know why. And I'm like, why, Geralt? Well, why? Me. Yeah. I mean, obviously, she's working for somebody else. She has some sort of ulterior motive that we don't know about, but I just wasn't sure how that was motivated. I think it's because she wants to get to Siri, not for the kingdom, not for kings or anything, but she has her own... She's like, this child is destiny, Geralt. You don't even understand but she mm-hmm. she wants to protect Siri, I think, also. But Oh, so you think that she is a trustworthy character? Yes, but she doesn't necessarily trust Geralt. Like she doesn't think yeah. that like whatever well, he his intentions were with like her being a witcher, like that has nothing to do with what's really destiny has intended for her or something. I don't know. I'm just like Well, she also doesn't seem like he's capable of of protecting her the way she needs to be protected. Right. And uh, I love Geralt has this moment here and he goes, you know what? You thought I wasn't going to get involved. You know, basically he says, anybody who goes after Siri, I'll kill them all. I'm going to kill everybody. Basically. Mm-hmm. Essentially, he says that uh, anybody who tries to hurt Siri, I'm going to kill them. And I thought that was pretty awesome. But then he collapses because he's lost so much blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's like, well, you're in no shape to do anything right now. So Geralt is bleeding to death right now, which I'm sure he'll be fine. Shani's a nurse, right? She's, you know, in yeah, training he'll be all right. for medical things. 
Would you rather have the medicine of that day or just a sorcerer use magic to heal you? I, I don't know, because I feel like if you had a sorcerer do something for you, they would want something in return. And they all come off as like conniving douchebags. So I don't even know if I'd want to be involved with them unless I knew like if it was Tris Marigold, maybe. But anybody else? Uh, I don't know. Philippa says that uh, Geralt, all of these things are minor matters. Bigger things are going on, which you don't understand. And he's like, your great cause, Philippa, and your choice as a wounded man stabbed in cold blood once he told you what he wanted to know. But what I wasn't to find out, your great cause is Riance, whom... Am I saying his name right? <laughs> whom, well, he, he says Riance, but like, Ryans. like we've established... Uh, I, you know, I, I want to pronounce I it like fiance, like Rion yeah, exactly. Rion sounds more French, and and for some reason that seems more evil. I don't know why. That's nothing yeah. against French people, but uh, yeah, it just seems like, more oh, evil. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yes, exactly. And he's like, "Your great cause, Riance, whom you allowed to escape, so that he wouldn't by any chance reveal the name of his patron, so that he can go on murdering. Your great cause is those corpses which did not have to." be corpses sorry if i express myself poorly they're not corpses they're minor matters you accuse me of being a bad guardian that i don't know how to protect the child i will protect her as best i can i will kill i will kill mercilessly <laughs> yeah it was almost i i've got like serious uh you know flashbacks to john wick when when they're when he's saying like you know are you back and he's like yeah i guess i'm saying i'm back yeah you know i'm thinking i'm it, back it's, it was, I got the same uh, vibes from that one. Yeah, I just like, you know, um, Dandelion, he should have popped him and he goes, So are you still neutral, Garon? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, no, I'm thinking, I'm not neutral at all. Not neutral. I'm Team Siri all the way, okay? Yeah. I'm going to kill everybody. It's like, okay. But it, it, doesn't, it doesn't necessarily mean that he's picking a side in this <clears throat> battle because both sides are conniving and scheming for yeah, her. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, during this, like, originally, Nilfgaard is bad, the place where you live, good, but no, they're assholes, too, who have no <laughs> yeah, intention. everyone's bad. Siri's good. Yeah, they have no intention of Siri, like, hey, we gotta protect this child. They're like, no, we gotta kill her, because this is gonna create some upheaval here. So, nobody's good, and it's kind of scary. Yeah. So then, you know... It cuts from there to Siri, and I love the final chapter of this book. I oh yeah, it was it was wonderful. Chapter it was seven. it was like I said, it, it was everything that I was hoping their relationship was going to be, because I thought that their relationship was going to be a lot more. Uh, there would be a lot more tension there, and really, I almost kind of thought that Yennefer wouldn't want to have anything to do with Siri, but mm -hmm. uh, the, the way it went was was awesome. Well, what I think is funny is it begins where you know. Siri's already been there for a while with Yennefer. And I was like, oh, we're not getting any backstory when she first met her. But no, Jason, we are. Just hold on. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> she goes to hang out with Yari or Jerry or J Jari? Jari? I don't know. Yara, I Yara. think. Yara. Okay, I'm going to go with that. And he's this young kind of uh, training. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, is he like a priest uh, or in training or something? Yeah, it sounds like he's he's a, a cleric or something like that in training. Yeah. And he's, I, for, I forget what his name was, like how it was pronounced. He's got all these maps of the world and like uh, reads books and stuff. And 
Siri goes there to talk to him and he blushes because Siri has, you know, started to get some shape to her or whatever. Yeah, I think exactly. Jennifer explains that. You know, you're not a little girl anymore. So, you know, Yari is just kind of, oh, oh, Siri, oh, hi. Um, what are you doing? Well, and, he, and he hides something as well when she yeah. walks in. Oh, yeah. And Siri finds it's like a... Like a, he's looking at hand drawn porn. Yeah, basically. basically he's got his hand drawn porn, which is hilarious. And she's like, "What? What are you looking at?" And he's just like, "Stop it!" <laughs> yeah, he's totally embarrassed. Which just makes me wonder: Did he draw that himself, or <laughs> he's just drawing boobs like already? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, hey, what are you doing there? Nothing, nothing. Go nothing. I've done cartography. Yeah, I'm, d- I'm drawing a map. Can't you see that? And I love. Again, they do this, uh, or Andre Subkovsky does it, where she's talking about the the land and you know the lay of the land and where Melitola is uh, according to the map and where these skirmishes are happening. Like because she's being teased at the beginning by Yola the second and the other girl about like you and Yennefer, you witches, and you know do you have a broom and all that. And they're kind of teasing her because she's getting out of doing work. To train. So now, now that we're on the show do, and you've had some time to think about it, do you uh, agree with my text about the idea of Yena or of Yola the Second being uh, Geralt's daughter, or no? No, because they've just gone out of their way saying that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't either. Witchers but I was, I was hoping. And you know what's funny is until you said the second, I never picked up that it wasn't Yola from the Last Wish. I was like, oh, cool, Yola's back, and I was like, why is she making fun of this child? Yeah, I mean, you. Yeah, exactly. You weren't even talking before. What's your problem? It's like now you're like picking on this little girl, but it's like, no, Jason, it's Yola the second, not Yola the first. I'm like, oh, see, sometimes you're reading so fast you don't pick up on things. <laughs> yeah, but the t- I mean, the timing was uh, was pretty convenient. Okay, I'm not saying that it is, but if it turns out that it is, then uh, you know, that would be one, one point for me. Yeah, it's like, hey, Geralt, your daughter picked on me all the time, by the way. It's like, oh, she's a little shit, little brat. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, what I love is, you know, as Siri is talking to Yeri, she's like, no, Yeri, stop that. And he's like gone in for the kiss. Mm -hmm. I thought he's like smelling her hair the whole time. Yeah, he's like, oh, Siri, but Siri. She's like, no, shut up. Stop it. And just shoots him down. He's like all red in the face and embarrassed. Yeah, I, I thought that was great, and was. I love Nenica too. We didn't get a lot of her, but we got a little bit. Mostly her just being angry at Yennefer, and I love the. There's kind of uh, she goes back to. Oh, I remember she Yennefer telepathically calls Siri to come back, and when she arrives, she's like, "You're dirty. You need to take a bath." And she's got these letters she's reading and. Uh, Siri's staring at them and she's trying to do some kind of spell to where the the letters will reveal themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And Yennefer's like, no, I don't think so. And she's like, aw. So yeah, she's like, don't even it. try it. Yeah, she's learned quite a bit at this point. And then she kind of talks about like, you know, she's combing her hair and she's like, did you like me when you first met me? And Siri's like, no, I really didn't. And mm-hmm. it cuts to when Yennefer first arrived and how she was kind of like intrigued by Yennefer, but also kind of afraid of her 
because Jennifer has quite a reputation, you know. And you well, yeah, know. she's the, the person she loves the most in the world is Geralt, and this is basically the, uh, you know, the person that's caused Geralt the most trouble. <laughs> yeah, and I love that uh, immediately. You know, Yennefer calls her the surprise. Oh, you're mm-hmm. the surprise. And Neneke, you know, she kind of warns her. She's like, I just want you to know this child is not your rival. You know that, right? Yeah. Like, you're not in competition with her. And she's like, oh, Neneke. But I'm thinking like, what, yeah. Whatever do you mean? She's competition for Geralt's affection, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I just loved them together. You know, at first it's very like... Uh, She's very hard on Siri, but she yeah. warms up to her. And there's this great moment where she says, I will answer any questions as long as you answer any of my questions. And she's like, okay, agreed. She's like, do you have any questions? She's like, yeah, what's with the deal with you and Geralt? <laughs> yeah, that was the first thing. <laughs> She's like, oh, dude. Yeah. I thought that was. Yeah. I, I, I loved how that was. Uh, she. It was so so direct and to the point, you know, and Yennefer wasn't necessarily expecting it and then immediately regretted uh, being so uh, giving, uh, allowing her to have so much candor. Yeah. And just their their day to day goings on and her training her, uh, I thought was uh, great. Yeah, it was. It was it was really nice to see them. It, it, nice to see how they built the relationship between the two of them. And that he also did it. Uh, Sapkowski did it through that that type of writing that we were talking about, where it's not necessarily you're getting everything that Siri's doing, but you're actually get, getting the story told through Yennefer's reaction to what she's doing. That yeah. worked out really well in this this uh, section as well. I also like that he points out that whenever Siri's running around the temple, she's chopping at things with a sword <laughs> yeah, exactly. there, and she's, you know, doing somersaults over fences and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like still training herself to be a witcher. And yeah. Like and she, everybody thinks she's pretty foolish. At one point she tells Yennefer, she's like, I'm not going to be a sorceress. I'm a witcher. And she's like, oh, are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's good stuff. Earlier in the book, we got this part where she had a nosebleed and that Neneke was really pissed at Yennefer and there wasn't to be any more training for a while till she healed and she was kind of laying in bed with her. And then in this flashback, we get to see how that happened is she's trying to teach her about magic and she takes her to the stone, this giant stone, and she's telling her that you can draw your magic from different things in nature you know trees and rocks it you know reminds me of the force a little bit you know we well she even calls it the force yeah the force you're drawing on the force basically the force of nature you know it surrounds us it binds us and i was like wait a second no yeah yeah well so i think it's okay that george rr martin stole the idea of the impending doom coming from the south you know even though uh in uh Game of Thrones, it was coming from the north. See, totally different. Yeah, uh, because yeah. uh, Sokowski kind of stole the idea of the Force from Star <laughs> yeah. Wars. So I think yeah, it, it works it's a, out. It's a Force from nature. And I'm sure George Lucas got it from somebody, too, you know. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's, you know, all life creates this kind of life force or whatever. Exactly. And so as she's trying to teach Siri, she feeds off, I guess, too much of it. And it causes a nosebleed. 
which is hilarious because it's like if, if we flash back to the way that she was when Tris Marigold first saw her, she's like beaten up and, and bruised and everything like that. And, uh, you know, she's just expected to continue. Whereas when she's with uh, Nenica, like just one nosebleed completely halts all training for like two weeks. Yeah. How, what have you done to this child? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, calm down. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> yeah. They respect each other, but they don't like each other. I think. Oh, they, definitely they, not. Jennifer and Nineke. Because, you know, even in the first book, The Last Witch, like, how much did uh, Subkovsky have in his head? Uh, I know. It's crazy, right? Yeah. Because they already set up, like, even when we're introduced to Nineke, she already knows of Yennefer and they've met, but we've never seen it happen. It's just kind of cool. Yeah, it is. Well, and, and also when, when we hear from, uh, oh, what is it? When we hear from Nenica in the first book, she doesn't hate uh, Yennefer when she's talking about her to, to Geralt. You know what I'm saying? It sounds yeah. like they have such a, a contentious relationship over Siri, but really it doesn't sound like she hates her in that first book. Yeah, it's almost like she just doesn't want to hear about their relationship at all. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, she doesn't want to be caught in between, I guess. Right, right. And I love the little moments where Siri and Yennefer are just kind of sitting around and she's like, Lady Yennefer. And she's like, what? And she's like, Can <laughs> yeah. you please answer my questions. I like all that stuff. Just the, and there's the, did you notice when uh, Siri kind of falls and her nose is bleeding and she's like hurt that Yennefer says, come here, daughter. Yeah. calls her daughter. Which just like, man, it was like I was saying in the last book, I wanted them to to get together and be this like happy family. And we haven't gotten all of that yet. But to create the emotional connection between the two of them is really what I was hoping for. And I wasn't sure if we were going to get that. And when we got it, I was I was uh, very pleased. And there's even a bit where she's like, why do you call me ugly one? And she's like, because you're anything but. Uh, you know, yeah. ugly. And she's like, "What do you mean?" She's like, "You're beautiful. How do you not know that?" <laughs> you know. Yeah, exactly. You weren't a hunchback. Yeah, and you know, she teases her too. You know, she's like, "It's been so long. Why isn't Geralt coming?" And she's like, "He's forgotten all about you." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. And she even says, like, he found himself a prettier girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and she's like, he has not forgotten about me. As just stuff like that, or she teases her. It's mean. Yeah, it's, it's also funny. It is. And she even says, like, I just want to be together, you and Geralt and me, and we're never separated. Is it going to be like that? And she says, yes, forever. Uh, that kind of like tugs at your heart a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Because you know, there's the crows circling in the sky. Some impending doom is coming. You know. Yeah. Everyone is looking for Siri. Everyone wants her. Uh, Geralt, he he wants to be there and protect her, but also he's gravely wounded right now. Something's gonna happen. I don't yeah, know basically something. That, that's kind of how we end the book. It really is the, um, you know, the crows are, are in the sky and. There's some, something is, is headed for us. We don't quite know what it is, but it's going to be big. Yeah, and everyone. Siri's going to be at the middle of it. Everyone is sensing a war is going is coming with Nilfgaard. But something also, this prophecy, this elven prophecy, the end is coming also. 
And uh, there was a great moment where, you know, when she received this letter, Siri knew it was they were going to leave to go somewhere. And uh, when they say goodbye to Nenike, Nenike comes up and gives her a big hug and all that. I thought that was really good. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I, I, I'm really pleased with the way this uh, the, this one ended. Yeah, um, I mean, I knew we weren't going to get like an ending. Ending, you know. It, no, definitely like, not. We're not. We're not getting like the, something being wrapped up. It, it kind of leaves everything on a uh, open and on a cliffhanger. Not not necessarily a cliffhanger, but everything is definitely open. And so I am intrigued to see what happens from here on. Like like I have been with with the other books, but now that we're getting in the big story, I um yeah, I just really want to see where, where we go from here. Yeah, the what. Subkovsky does so well is the conversations and the dialogue between characters and he builds them that way. It's not so much the, the, of the political intrigue, but then he introduced the political intrigue in this book and he gave us some of that, like some world building here. And I thought that was very cool. I felt like I knew quite a bit more about what's going on. Like, okay, there's these Kings, they all meet in there. Yeah. And then there's the wizards and then there's the Nilf guardians and they all want Siri for a reason, and it's scary. Yeah, the, the the world is definitely rounded out quite a bit in this in this book. We kind of see what what's going on, and we also get a little bit more of the idea of the geography of right. of the place because before this, it was just like names that we'd heard, and I have no idea where they're coming from. But now we know that Nilfgaard is in the south, and there's this river and and everything like that. So it. Um, you know, it it, uh, it definitely rounded thing, things out. It, it, it's interesting what you're saying about the idea of it being a lot of conversations because most of the book was conversations. I mean, we only had probably three battles that happened in it uh-huh. with, you know, with um, on the road with the Scoratile and then the the monster on the boat and then with Riance at the end. It's kind of the only battles and action that we had, maybe in the beginning with Dandelion as well. But there's not a lot of action that happens in this book. It doesn't mean that it was slow or there wasn't a lot going on, but it was built mostly through conversation. Yeah, and I forgot some of the best parts also is that, remember, Ciri's really upset because she can't do the sign of Ard. She can't do any Witcher signs, and she's like, uh, Lady Yennefer, can I talk to you about something? She's like, what? What is it? And she's like, well, you know, it's kind of a sensitive topic. She's like, just spit it out. She's like, do I need to not be a virgin to control magic? And she's like, oh, yeah. no, do you? She's like, well, that's what the girls say. And she goes, well you better run out and take care of it then. And she's like, I'm being <laughs> yeah, exactly. serious. And she's like, that stuff like that was really funny. And yeah, the whole, the whole discussion about like how you can weed out the majority of the population as suitors because of the state of their bed, which was yeah. interesting, which made me think like, well, wait a minute, is my bed made? Because, uh, she basically says, make sure it's someone who's clean, you know? Yeah. And, Someone has clean fingernails and a nice tidy bed, but she said she's made some mistakes there also. You know, that doesn't Yeah, really it's not have... a foolproof system. Yeah, it's not a foolproof system. And uh, then she mentions that, you know, you're 13. I was like, 13? Why are you encouraging her to do this? <laughs> yeah, exactly. What and kind of a role she... model are you? I don't think she was encouraging. I think she was just kind of, it was foolishness and she was just teasing her about it again. Well, she doesn't want it to get in the way of her ability to, to do magic. Right. 
Basically, there's a lot of nonsense that people believe. And you know what's yes. funny is I remembered, and we never brought this up, it was way back in The Last Wish when that guy who worked for Full Test comes up to Geralt when he was going to deal with the Striga. And he goes, don't come near me. I have a turtle stone. And then Geralt, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Geralt's just kind of like, like turtle stone. Like he really thinks that's going to do something to protect him. Like foolish people, they'll believe anything. And I think a lot of people do. You live in this world of magic and stuff. It's like, this is magic right here. And it's like, cool, let me have it. So here, here's the question that I have, because it seems like we've kind of wrapped the story up quite a bit. Did you, when you listened to this, was it the like the parts that you did listen to? It, there was no background music? No. Because throughout the entire audiobook was background music, and it was almost trying to like set the tone for you, and it was ridiculously annoying. Like, it wow. was just this these kind of like tones in the background and everything, and it was like, you don't need to make me feel how you want me to feel at this point like i can do that myself but the background music was so distracting i really hope that it's not in the rest of the books like it it wasn't in the the books of short stories so like in terms of just what i thought about the audio book there were kind of two major dings on it which was dandelion's pronunciation which we've you know kind of beaten to the ground but also um uh um, or at least i have but also the uh, the music, I just did not like it. That's you know, I, I, I thought I would. You know, I've just, uh, you know, I read the physical book and then I was like, uh, it's on YouTube. Uh, people yeah. put the Blood of Elves audiobook on YouTube. It's Peter Kenny, but there was no music behind it. Well, they, I wonder if the people who put it on YouTube took it out because that might be a universal idea from everyone like i would like to go read the reviews on this one just because it was it was it, it didn't fit you know like w- when you put the music on our last podcast i thought it was great because it was like hey we're at we're at a tavern you know uh, that, that yeah. type of setting the atmosphere but when when it's doing it throughout the entire book and the music is trying to like let you know that this is a meaningful moment between yennefer and siri like i, I don't need that you know yeah, it was funny is uh, the audiobooks of Star Wars novels add in music and sound effects, and it works there really well because it's Star Wars. Uh, but that's yeah, maybe I'm well. Star Wars also has like a defined style of music. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So this one, like, if it if it had set out with like uh, an initial theme and then kind of played off of that theme throughout the entire book, maybe I would have liked it a little bit more. But this was just kind of like somebody tinkling away at the piano or whatever to kind of set the mood for you. And I didn't I didn't really dig it. You know what's funny is I just remembered part of the story that uh, we didn't mention, and that is one of Ciri's visions is when her parents died. She was standing with Kalanthi with oh yeah 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 and crate in his you know navy of ships or whatever and he's apologizing like i never let us i never should have let them go and well it, it, it was amazing to see how how far crack and crate had come yeah. you know he, he's, he's made quite the name for himself and so um, he calls him uncle crack and crate yeah exactly and, and to me every time i hear that name i still think it's two people but yeah. um but, but uh yeah it was it was, it was uh you know, he, he goes basically to kind of offer a sacrifice of his blood to Calanthe. And, you know, she's like, no, you're going to owe me. And if you don't 
owe it to me, you're going to owe it to her. So I, I know that that's definitely um, if you coming up again. If you pay this debt to me, you'll pay it to Siri, essentially. And Yennefer is like in this vision with her, I believe. is she, She's witnessing it or something. So I think at some point they know Crack and Crake is an, is an, is an ally that they could utilize at some point. Yeah, it's definitely I, coming up at some point. Yeah, I was like, okay, this guy, you know, they're, we're going to see Crack and Crate again and ask him. Yeah, well, because he, he tried to kill Dooney, you know, and so he gets a chance to redeem himself. Right. And also there's a great part that I didn't want to forget where she's trying to get her. She's like, you don't need to do the sign of art if you just learn to do this. Basically like this push spell. And uh, she knocks down Ninnick's shack, just like blows the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. She's like, well, it was an ugly shack anyway. Nobody's going to miss it. Yeah. And you guys can use it as firewood. It's fine. That was good stuff. So yeah. we know series. she's gotten some training. She could do a little bit of magic now. She can do some sword stuff. So she's getting there, right? She'll be, she is, yeah. She'll be a Jedi one day. Oh, wait. Oh, <laughs> exactly. Damn it, I'm making- wait a minute. Wrong one. <laughs> <laughs> but I've got to say, I love these characters, and I can't wait to read the next book. I'm having so I can't wait to read it either. Like, on the whole, do you? Do, how, how did you feel now that we've transitioned into the main storyline as opposed to... Um, you know, getting these little glimpses into the world. I was very excited to be reading the novel with the big story. And it was the kind of thing that you're taking in so so much information that when it's over, you know, I spent a long time just thinking about like everything that happened. And the main thing, and I remember when I realized that, uh, you know, like we said, like, wait, nobody's good. They're all after something. Bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was like, oh shit, there aren't any good guys. I mean, there, there's Geralt, Yennefer, and Siri. They're the important ones. There's the people that are their allies, like Dandelion or Neneke at the temple, and they're a few friends, but all the people who are in power in this world, they're not good. And it's No, scary. definitely not. On, on every side, really. Yeah. So I don't know what the hell they're going to do. <laughs> yeah, I'm still waiting for our, our uh, vision of the happy family with Uncle Dandelion and everybody together. I hope we get that in the next book. Uh, that's the thing I'm looking forward to the most. I want a scene where Dandelion and Siri are picking on each other. And I wanna exactly. See- or maybe they get along famously and... Geralt's like, hey, don't listen to Dandelion. He's got nothing but bad ideas, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like and then Torqua comes in from out of nowhere and is like, hey, guys. And he's just there as kind of like a cameo. Yeah. bearing at their heads. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was thinking about that. Like, oh, yeah, he loves those ball bearings. But <laughs> Yeah, he's got to come back at some point. I've got the, the next book right here, and I can't wait to start reading it. Yeah, I'm going to download it after we're done and, and get, get cracking on it. Because, like I said, after I finished it the, the first time, I was like, all right, let's get this thing moving. And it was like, okay, well, what was we'll just listen like? to it again. I thought it was interesting getting used to the fact that we're not with Geralt all the time, which we are in the short stories. Like, Geralt's always there. He's like the main character, right? But now... Yeah. We're cutting to uh, other people, but I was, you know, dandelions by himself. What the hell? How are we going to deal with this? And but it's very cool. And yeah, I, I like that we don't we aren't just stuck with with Geralt. I mean, I I love Geralt as a character, but I like seeing the world built out from other people's point of view. And it was just like so cool and powerful that 
Geralt is reading a letter from Ciri, uh, telling him about her days at the temple. And I thought that was so fascinating and entertaining. And then, you know, of course, the letter from Yennefer, which was hilarious. And, yeah, exactly. you know, Ciri with Yennefer was such a great part of the story, too. Yeah, I think it was probably, I mean, I, I think the, the part on the boat was the most fun. Mm-hmm. And, and I really liked that. But in terms of my sheer enjoyment of the story, I really liked the part with Siri and Jennifer. Because it was everything, like I said, it was everything I, I had hoped it was going to be between yeah. the two of them. Because I think when they first meet, you're afraid Jennifer's going to treat her like shit. But you see immediately, she's just kind of sizing her up. And she's, you know, going about how she's going about helping her with her visions and not let them overpower her. And here's how you're going to combat this and all this stuff. And well, it's like y- Yennefer always in every other instance has come off as so aloof, but when mm-hmm. she is like thrust into the role of mother to this motherless child, like we really start to see that she has genuine emotions and, and, and is able to connect with somebody in a real, like loving relationship, which I wasn't sure if she was able to do. Yeah, and when uh, Siri, you know, says, can we all be together, Geralt and you and I, and never uh, separate again, and she's like, yes. And I was like, oh my God, they have their family right there. You know, they couldn't... Exactly. She couldn't have a child, now she has a child. I mean, so these two people who found each other, yet what kept them apart was that they can never create a family together, now have this instant family are they going to let anything take her away from them? Mm. I don't, you know what's going to take it away from them is uh, the fact that they're going to go on Mori together and find out that Yola II is Geralt's oh, no. daughter and it's going to throw a monkey wrench into everything. They're going to have a DNA test on the air. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. A paternity test. Geralt, in the, in the we have the <laughs> results of the test. You just see Jennifer sitting there, like looking so pissed. Yeah, exactly. Rocking back and forth in her chair. It's like the the, the, the lights dim in Who the. Who is uh... this Yola the first? Well, she's this mute girl that. Uh... <laughs> yeah. You know, a striga had you know bitten me on the neck. I wasn't in good shape then. Uh... I didn't even hardly you know we didn't even talk. I blame Nenica for all of this. Uh... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so stupid. <laughs> I love it. And I love these characters and I can't wait to know more. It's just like, there's people out there who've already read these books. We're at a time now we're reading them for the first time, Ross. And it's like life before dandelion life after dandelion. Exactly. I'm going to savor each of these books one at a time. Me too. I'm, I'm so looking forward to the next one. I'm having a blast then getting with you and us talking about them. Me too. I, it's nice because, like I said before, so few of my friends in real life like this type of literature uh, that it's, you know, I, I, I read all this stuff and want to have so much, like, so much to say about it, but very rarely get the chance to. So it, it is very refreshing. And I'm, I'm happy that, that people are, are along this journey with us. Yeah. And you know what? I never even knew I did like fantasy stuff. I knew that. Oh, really? everyone was into game of thrones i was just like oh yeah okay whatever you know there's no spaceships or laser guns am i really going to be into this <laughs> or whatever well yeah you had always said you were kind of a sci-fi guy which i love sci-fi I, I really do i just don't think there is as much um 
really good content out there that I've found. I, I know mm-hmm. it's because I'm completely ignorant, uh, and I know there's a lot of the the, the established franchises. But I, I like to dive into new worlds right. on on stuff, and so it, it I found that easier in like fantasy than I, I have been in sci-fi. Yeah, I didn't know I was that into fantasy, but you know, as a kid, I loved Dungeons and Dragons. I didn't understand. Yeah, there you go. I didn't understand how to play, but I looked liked all the <laughs> yeah. stuff and the lore and stuff. And I liked having the books to look at the pictures. Yeah, and you know, like uh, the Conan the Barbarian, I dug that and the comic book with that. So I've like kind of been on the outskirts of sword and sorcery type of stuff and fantasy and. You know, I'm digging it. I like this. You know, I've well. Good news for you. There is a ton of it. Uh, Yeah. And, you know, I've never read any of the Lord of the Rings books or anything like that, but I hear they're good. I've heard. Yeah, they're quite popular. (laughs) Yeah. Have you heard of those? I have. I've read them. Uh, Uh (laughs) I'd recommend watching the movies instead. They're just very long. They've made movies of those. They have. I hear they're quite successful. <laughs> they have a- extended editions. In fact, they're, uh, Amazon is now making... I hope people know we're being facetious. Are they really talking <laughs> yeah, about Lord of the did. Rings like this? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm very entertained by this world, and I want to know more about it. And Me too. Are, are they on Earth is what I want to know. I, 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 I would assume so. I'm not quite sure what part of Earth, but I've never been to Poland before, so maybe there's a Sintra Poland. You know, Earth is referred to several times in the book, but referring to dirt. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Ross, our next book is The Time of Contempt, which I think is going to be hilarious. I think so too. It's funny because I don't read the names of the books before you announce them. And so now when you said that, it's just got my mind kind of uh, wandering as to, as, or wondering what it's going to be all about. I'm scared, Jason. I know. I am too. You know what? There's one point I can't, there's one part I can't get past with witchers is that they do this for coin. They kind of sound like yeah. assholes that they do it for coin, don't they? Exactly. Well, it's like I said, they're basically like the Orkin man, you <laughs> yeah, know, just a lot cooler. It's like if they showed up and they're like, oh, you got a bad termite problem. That Yeah, exactly. Them. But in the, in this case, the termite's like 17 feet tall and yeah. has the ability to like wield a sword. He's eating underneath your city, so <laughs> yeah, exactly. the whole city's going to collapse, so you need to pay me some coin. Yeah. I love it. I can't wait to see what ha- happens next because Geralt is bleeding to death. He could be dead in the next book. Probably. Yeah. yeah it's not. He's he's no longer a character. Dandelion's going to have to take over the mantle. Yeah, it's actually Vizimir that's the one that that, that takes over from now on. It's his story. Yeah. Or Ves or Vesemir. I'm not quite sure which one's yeah, which. Yeah. There's Vesemir the Witcher, and there's King Vizimir of Redania. They're actually brothers. That's the thing that, that <laughs> they don't tell you. How cool was it? Like when more witchers show up. By the way, they're like, "Dude, there's other ones." Oh, I can't wait till we get the the battle with all of them together. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. I know it's coming. First of all, like they're incredible swordsmen. Can you imagine like five of them in one battle? Yeah, just be- signs of Ard everywhere. Oh, I know that place is going to be covered in Ard. <laughs> <laughs> Ha, 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 ha. 
Just art everywhere. Art everywhere. <laughs> I love it, man. That's hilarious. <laughs> I have so much fun doing this. All right. Me too. Well, Ross, that's the book. We got nothing more to talk about until next time. So you, you are currently tied with your previous book club record. I am excited for you and can't wait to do this next book. Simply, <laughs> if only aside from learning the story, but for you to get over that hill that has been haunting you for all these years. You are correct. I never did a fourth episode of the Dark Tower book club show. So we're going to do it with this series there we go i can't wait jason thank you for having me on thank you ross for joining me and we'll do it again next time sounds good i'll catch you later anybody want to send some feedback nimpodcast at gmail.com all right guys until next time ross see you next time (laughs) bye everybody